everyone, and welcome to the Shrieking Shack. You, the people, made your voices heard uh, between episodes this week. <laughs> Democracy has spoken, and the most important vote uh, of the year took place, and and we we arrived here. We arrived at the movie episode. Is what, what what did you think about that whole thing? Was this how you expected things to go? I had a lot of suspense because you didn't put a see results button on the poll. Oh, did I not? Oh. No, so I did. I didn't want to um, put my thumb on the scale. Oh, yeah, it was. It was pretty much a, a solid seventy thirty split in the end. Hmm. Kind of a landslide. Uh, I was expecting it to be closer. I th- mm. There are definitely some good arguments for uh, doing it both ways. Sure, but uh, but the people spoke, and uh, we watched a movie this week. We did. We sure did. Um, and it's a lucky, it's kind of lucky that we chose this week to watch a movie because there wasn't really much news that happened this week. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. No, no, no new Fantastic Beasts lore, no new tweets from J.K. Rowling, thank God, knocking on wood that that will remain the same uh, at the end of this episode. Um, she hasn't said anything about the election, curiously. Yeah, honestly, I I think one of my surprises, like obviously she's she's on her shit, um, but she never went back to the the like mic drop post yeah. that she got on listicles for. Yeah, she used to like quote tweet Trump all the time. Mm-hmm. She's missed a lot of opportunities for that to get some. Oh yeah, to get some hits in. So that's kind of surprising. Um, but yeah, she she's she continues to be. Not online, which works for me. Mm-hmm. We have a clear view ahead of us. Uh, uh, nothing in the way of us talking about this movie. Part one, The Deathly Hallows, as voted for us to watch this week by our fans. This is kind of a weird one because it was the first of uh, two movies based on the last book, which is why we put the vote here. And kind of had some interesting production stuff uh, surrounding it. Uh, something I did not realize going into this. There were nearly two years between the last movie and this one. Uh, why? Because of the extended production. And also the writer's strike. Oh, yeah. Yeah, writer's strike was 2008. And uh, I, I guess that, uh, that that affected the uh, script editing and stuff somewhat for this movie. And this came out in 2010, right? Yep, uh, November 10th, 2010 is when this one came out. Can we do that thing that is my favorite where we look at all the uh, movies that came out in the same year? I would love to do that. That's my favorite activity. Let's look at movies from 2010. Uh, 127 Hours. Inception. Ooh. Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Uh, Jonah okay. Hex. I, these aren't in any particular order. I'm just looking at the movies. I just want to hear about them. I just want to get the vibe. Shutter Island came out in 2010. Okay, sure. Oh, oh, remember me? The 9/11 movie with uh, with Robert. Pattinson. Oh, with Robert Pattinson? Yeah, Book of Eli. Um, okay. The King's Speech. Boring. Really, the the year of uh, good acting from Helena Bonham Carter, though. <laughs> That's right. Oh, that's what everyone remembers. Twenty ten. That's right. For that, um, the attempted the first Universal horror reboot attempt, the Wolfman movie, came out in twenty. I don't remember that. Uh, Insidious, Resident Evil, Afterlife, Black Swan came out. That was kind of a fun movie, I guess. 
Yeah, it's all right. I mean, I don't have I don't have any hot takes about Black Swan. I just don't care that much. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like I didn't like when her leg bent backward. That was mm. gross. Uh, let's see. Uh, Saw the final chapter. Mm. Oh, Rubber came out. That's a good movie. That's the movie about the tire that uh, comes to life and kills people. I read a lot about like the Saw lore on the Saw wiki the other day. Mm. The first Saw movie, pretty good. I like the first one. Mm. Kind of goes a little nuts after that, I feel. Yeah, was there much lore in there for um, Mr. Saw? In the first one? I'd say the yeah, first one is like it... mostly lore. Mostly yeah. lore? Because uh, okay. so, Saw... Saw Saw became like a big. Saw was like the infamous like oh, torture porn is ruining horror thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the first Saw is pretty is a pretty slow burn. Like there's really not. Maybe I should watch that. It's a good movie. I'd I'd recommend the first one. It's a. I'm I'm a little gore sensitive. Yeah. So that's why I never saw those, especially because they really did have that reputation yeah. at the time. I mean, like where the, the later ones out. do really become insanely gory, just like uh, a splatter fest. But the first one is a very kind of slow. Uh, and kind of low-key horror movie, I'd say. What's with the puppet? The puppet is how the guy, the Saw guy, uh, uh, communicates with the person who he has set in the trap because he doesn't want to reveal. Oh, okay. Oh, because because like they probably like he wants them to get out, right? Yeah, and then they would know who he is. Yeah, it's like a, he's he's playing a game with them. Right. Yeah, to make them appreciate their life or whatever. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's a cool, it's a, for first movie, very good, I would say. I will say, I looked up the Saw Wiki, because my question was, what's with the puppet? Right. And I, and that was like, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of lore. I learned a lot about Mr. Saw and what he went through. Um, <laughs> but the Wiki, not very good. Saw fandom, please, if I, if I have a question, like, what's with the puppet, I should be able to find that out really easily. Yeah. So step up your game. Yeah. Uh, some other, would you like some other movies from 2010? Oh, yeah. Uh, Social Network, 2010. Um, oh, okay. Uh, a Hot Tub Time Machine. Scott All Pilgrim. Right. Uh-huh. Um, here's some important ones. Megamind. And <laughs> mm-hmm. How to Train Your Dragon. That's a good movie. That's cute, yeah. Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, 2010. Oh, was that um, Zack Snyder? That was a Zack reason? Snyder joint. Yep, that is him. I read the first book. And at the time that it came out, it was like, because that's like totally was my bag as a kid. But I was like, my memory of it is that it's like that familiar bittersweet feeling of knowing you grew out of something, right? Mm, like you're reading mm-hmm. it late and you're just like, this is just too young for me. Yeah. Um, but maybe yeah. I should watch The Owl Movie by Zack Snyder. It's fun from what I remember. I haven't seen it since it came out, but I, I remember sure. that being fun. The good Predator reboot came out in 2010. Okay. Uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader came out in 2010. A uh, really good one. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, I think this might be my personal uh, uh, big choice for 2010. Okay. This might be a little controversial. Okay. Tron Legacy. Oh. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I like Tron Legacy. I'm one of the few, the fr- few weirdos who thought that was a pretty good Tron movie. Hmm. Uh, and then I, was, have... I, will, I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack might have a lot to do with that. Um, but I, thought I have no fun. comment. Oh, okay. Never mind. I found the actual, the actual best movie of 2010. Okay. This is my unironic pick for oh. the movie I liked the most in 2010. Sure. Why go see Harry Potter when you could go see 13 Assassins? 
the Takashi Miike samurai movie that fucking whips ass. Up wow, why didn't we watch that instead? Oh, it's such a good movie. 90 minutes of setup and then 30 minutes of samurai guys just whipping the shit out of each other. I gotta say, uh, maybe this is spoilers for later in the episode, but there was no point watching Deathly Hallows Part 1 where I thought to myself, wow, this whips ass. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few moments where the film desperately wants you to think that. Yeah, uh-huh. But uh, doesn't ever quite get there. <laughs> uh-huh. So it sounds like maybe maybe more so than uh, the last film where we kind of like poked at the, uh, you know, what other movies you could have gone to the theater to see that year. Um, I'd say more competition for Deathly Hallows Part 1. I think. Yeah, I think... I'm not really blown away by any of those, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe if Inception was a little shorter. <laughs> <laughs> like Inception a lot shorter fewer parts where your character turns to the camera and explains the rules to you right but that's the thing is like deathly hallows part one is also two and a half hours long so <laughs> i don't know maybe i would just go see inception oh yeah uh deathly hallows was split into two films uh in a decision that everyone was very adamant was made purely for creative reasons yeah um, i bet in uh it, it was actually announced really early on too it was announced before um half blood prince even came out so uh, where were we in the timeline of studios doing this was this early on this is maybe the first one i think um um because or well when was the hobbit film the hobbit was way after right I believe they were a couple years after at least, yes. But but I, I'm pretty sure that this was like the big unprecedented, like, wow, no one's ever done something this brazen before thing. Sure. Because um, I, I have an interview here from 17th March of 2008 uh, where they talked to David Heyman, the producer. Uh-huh. Uh, and they ask, when was the decision made to split the book into two films? Heyman, we've been talking about it for, actually, right after the writer's strike was when a definitive defi- decision was made. We've been talking about it for a while, and we've been mulling it over, and we thought it was the direction we'd go after discussing it with Joe Rowling. But a definitive decision was made once we were able to speak to the screenwriter, Steve Clovis, after the strike. Uh, we were angling toward that before the writer's strike. Initially, we thought we'd do it in one film, how we'd done it every time. <laughs> But then when hmm. we began to really analyze it, we realized wow. we, it was just impossible to fit everything in. Like, unlike previous films where you could drop certain things, like Spew or Ron playing Quidditch, this one you can't. There's so much resolution and so much to resolve that you can't drop it in the same way. Each of those incidences has a place, and we didn't want to compromise. I... Uh, so, I'm... I'm. There's two wolves inside of me. Yeah. One says that's such bullshit. Yeah. The other says, yeah, I guess this really is a book about finding seven objects and then three more. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to find a lot of objects and the process for finding them might be a little too complicated for like a uh, montage, right? Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess the problem, I, I guess the problem is, is that they really... I mean, similar, not obviously to the same magnitude, but to a similar degree that, like, WB being shackled to J.K. Rowling's creative vision now is causing problems. Mm-hmm. This is, like, the the double-edged part of having her on board for the films right from the mm. get-go. 
mm-hmm. where it's like it's great in many ways that you know uh uh, uh just, just just purely looking at this from uh, um you know a detached perspective that yes it is good that a studio making a film based on a thing has the real creator there on board as a big part of it right sure but i think that that also maybe back them into a corner here because uh the book that she wrote was insane and right, yeah. if you have to if you have to follow that book to the letter yeah it is going to be kind of long um but the thing is they they kind of get into that in this interview um, and I, I have some questions about, uh, about some of their responses here. So the, the interviewer asks, did you get as far as trying to put a script together that would get everything into one film or did it become obvious in discussions that that wouldn't work? Uh, and the, uh, producer says it all came down to discussions. We thought, how are we going to approach this? Is this going to be a four and a half hour film? That's probably what it would have been. Would our audience really embrace that? In some ways, I think they might, but I think the younger ones would have drifted. There's always been difficulty making sure that, uh, the one, uh, the ones that are two hours, two and a half hours long, making sure those are the right length. I think by having two films that are both two and a half hours long, then it will be a richer experience. And like, I kind of get that. But also, this is, like, we're post-Lord of the Rings here. You can just make a long movie. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if 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 making a single three, four-hour movie is is how to do it, then just do that. And, and I think that that's kind of where I come down on the, like, this was a, probably a more cynical, business-driven decision than they ever let on. Is because, like, yeah, especially in, like, 2010, it was not unprecedented to have a very long movie. That was that was kind of the norm for a lot of blockbusters. Yeah. An interesting comment about kids drifting. I'm with the kids. I can't watch Return <laughs> of the King without falling asleep. Um, but also, this is not a kid's movie. I, yeah, I have thoughts about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it when we get into, into the film itself. Um, there's uh-huh. one last answer here that I found very funny. Uh, obviously, there are people who will think that the decision to make two films is driven by a desire to make twice as much money. What do yes. you say to that? <laughs> uh, and David Heyman, the producer of the film, says, The process went like this. The studio said to us, the filmmakers, you decide what's best for the story. Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay, man. Okay, uh-huh. man. Which I'm sure, I'm sure that like in words, that's what happened. Oh, I bet those words were said. I'm sure those words were said, but that those words were probably said <laughs> after David Heyman called someone at WB up and said, hey, what if we made two Harry Potter movies instead of the one that you think we're getting? And then the guy at the WB office did a little dance and then said, uh, do what you think is best for the creative process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this film, it was, it was uh, both of them were shot back to back. It was a big, like, Lord of the Rings style production of just like shooting it all in one go and, and editing it as uh, uh, as they went. So they came out a, a year apart. In fact, it might have been less than a year apart. They were pretty close together. So, do do the two movies like feel the same just because they did it all at once? I I've never seen the second one, so I have no idea. So I have not seen it since. It was in theaters. Okay. Um, and I feel like kind of yes, but also kind of no, because the thing is, is that what I think what makes this movie unique, um, and maybe some of the strengths of this movie, 
are that it's like a lot of being shot on location out in the woods or like out in like lakes and and just very nice like uh real location stuff right Mm -hmm. um and that feels nice and there's like a mood kind of in the middle of the movie and all i remember about the second movie is that they go to gringotts and do a heist and then they go to hogwarts and have a big lord of the rings battle all right and i think that those i think that even if they were shot back to back those are just like not great companion pieces sure but i guess we'll see in in not 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 that much time yeah um but for now let's kick it off let's talk about part one um i guess first off going in what were your expectations what were your general takeaways um this is probably the one i have the least recollection of I've, I certainly, I think this must be, I, I guess Half-Blood Prince was the same where it's like I went and saw them in theaters and then I never watched them again versus mm-hmm. the other ones that I've, I've definitely seen multiple times on like TV and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I was very curious what they were going to do with the story, mm-hmm. you know? I, I always wonder if I'm like too nice in retrospect and like thinking about like Half-Blood Prince, which <laughs> I know, I know that book was a mess mm-hmm. um but it is you know at hogwarts and so far whatever i think of the movies i think that the writers typically do an okay job at pulling at a thread and making a coherent story yeah um, and so i was really curious what they were going to do with deathly hallows just because this book is is insane <laughs> this is a this is a crazy story, and not um, only that, but but as as we just learned from that interview, they deliberately were not just pulling one or two threads out to work with. Mm-hmm. They said they want to do everything. So yep. So already starting from an interesting and different position here. Yeah, and I guess like my big question going into the movie was because I knew it en- it ended the way it did. I knew that it ended in Malfoy Manor and having just read that part, I'm like how do you how do you have that be the end of a, like what is the narrative arc that leads that to feeling like an ending? Mhm. Um the answer is nothing. <laughs> the answer is it really feels like half a movie. It feels like half a movie. Um so I guess my expectations were sort of met in that I didn't go in with many and was just like, well, I guess that makes sense, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I also had that uh, as like a similar experience, specifically regarding the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I think that the movie kind of bears this out. We'll talk about it obviously when we get to it in detail. But just speaking broadly here, I um I knew that the movie ended with Dobby's death. Yeah, and I was like. There is no possible way that they can make that impactful in one movie because the problem is, um, you know, as as good at they ha- as they have been at uh, uh, focusing on single threads to the individual movies benefit previously, mm-hmm. Dobby is not in Dob- Dobby had not been in a movie when this movie came out for eight years. Yeah. Chamber of Secrets came out in 2002. This came out in 2010. Um, Dobby was just not a character. Cause, cause, and like this, and this, and this is one of those things where it's like, it's really not the filmmaker's faults, uh, that, that he was missing for that long, because I think they correctly identified after the second movie that Dobby's arc was over. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Like we talked about that last week in our chapter discussion, but like Dobby right. is even in the book, it's weird bringing Dobby back for this big emotional death because he his arc was already concluded. And he may he may as well have died, right? Like he was dead to the story. He was just like a, a fun a fun little comic relief character who showed yeah. up sometimes. Um, uh-huh. But him not even having that in this movie series makes it kind of surreal to just see him be important again nearly a decade after his last movie. Um, and that's just so weird to think about watching it. Like, like knowing that that is where the movie is going, knowing that like, this is supposed to be this big impactful moment and just realizing like people who like were movie only fans, like probably were really caught off guard by that. Cause Dobby was just a non-entity for most of the series. Yeah. I was sort of thinking about this because I don't know what it's like to be a movie-only fan of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. I don't know that experience Mm -hmm. of watching these and trying to make sense out of them. Yeah. But having talked to some amount of people who only watch the movies and, like, reading the stuff that they have to say, people that watch the movies first, and I think that ends up being a more common experience. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, kids will watch the movies on TV and then later go back and read the books. But I I always kind of wonder what that's like, and I, I think that you sort of watch them with the knowledge that maybe you don't get it. You know, like there's mm-hmm. some stuff that you're just like, oh, maybe I'm missing something or like there's right. some some lore that didn't make it in the movies that makes this make sense. And I sort of wonder if there are folks that like watched this movie and are like, and ha- hadn't read the books and be like, oh, maybe there's something missing about Dobby being <laughs> like appearing. Right. And the answer is no. No, not really. <laughs> uh, there's there's nothing you're really missing here. And that's really funny because you get to him and it, and it really is like he is just plucked out of movie two, which at this point, unrecognizable franchise. Like if you yeah. watched movie two and then watched movie seven, Point one, movie yeah. seven, part one. Um, I mean, th- these films are like different worlds, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. the The first two Harry Potter movies, the Chris Columbus ones, are such a like, uh, just just a a a super polished fantasy family film, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, whereas you, over time, Harry Potter became like a born movie uh right by the time we get to this one it is it is such a different franchise um and i remember at the time a lot of people praising that and being like well the books also grew up with the audience and so too have the films and and i think that as dry as those first two movies are um i'm honestly looking back on them with more and more nostalgia the more of the newer ones we watch just mm-hmm. because there's something so um, charming about how dedicated those are to being a fantasy film for children, right? And just being like, here's here's just a cute make-believe story, whereas this is just like, this is fucking real, this is gritty, this is dark, people are gonna fucking die, and it's uh, it's a little it's a little much sometimes, I think, as a transition. Yeah, I think that um, sort of one of my big. I assume one of my biggest takeaways from from revisiting this franchise is just going to be about how um, the early books felt like they dealt with pretty mature themes in a way that was friendly for for kids. Yeah, and that when the 
like content quote unquote grew up with the audience mm-hmm. um for some, like all of the thematic stuff and the themes and the, the and the things that the characters are deal with almost feel like they regressed like yeah. all of all of the actual things that are happening and the and the like themes of the story in Deathly Hallows feel just like like baby versions of other stories i think azkaban is a better story about loss and like dealing with it than any of the later books right yeah and it just and it just feels really shallow when like ron is getting like baby boromir like i yeah just it feels childish even though it's in a movie that is ostensibly more grown up because it looks grown up and it looks darker and they have like gunfights right but Mm -hmm. but what they're actually dealing with doesn't feel mature right yeah yeah, so I so that was like my main expectation going in was just like I I I don't know how they're going to make this story work and I don't know how they're going to make this tone work with just building up to Dobby dying being the big deal, right? Like that's so <laughs> He's funny. He's so smooth. He's very smooth looking in this film. Yeah. That's the other thing. If I'm watching Chamber of Secrets back to back with and then watching Deadly Hollows Part One, I'd be like, "Wow, what did Davi and Creature do to their their skincare drop, routine? Drop the They're glowing routine, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think. I think my other expectation going in, like my one thing I remembered, is uh, um, how on earth are they going to do the camping? Because that was uh, uh, dire in the book. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that that actually, as opposed to the Dobby stuff and like the tone stuff, I think that that actually ends up being the best part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but we will talk about that when we get to it. For now, let's get into a little play-by-play here. We open with the new Minister of Magic. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we open with the WB logo looking more fucked up than it's ever looked. Oh. It's pitch black. Oh, it's rusty. Shit. You know that this movie's dark because even the logo is fucked up looking. That's messed up. And then we start on the most insane close-up of Bill Nye as the new Minister of Magic giving a speech. And it sets this sets a weird tone for something that I, I noticed throughout the whole movie that I really am curious where David Yates picked this up as a direction technique. <laughs> But there is a lot of characters just standing in this film. They're just standing. They're just standing. Bill Nye, we start on a close-up of his face, and we zoom out, and then we reveal that he's, like, giving a press tour, and he's, like, standing in the middle of the Ministry of Magic, but he is just standing. Um, He's, like, very awkward. His hands are at his side. There's nothing around him. He's not doing anything. He is just standing. We see... Hermione just standing in her house and then (laughs) uh, obliviating her parents and then standing with her arms at her sides very, very strangely. Uh, We see Harry seeing off the Dursleys and he is just standing with his arms at his side. It's very weird. It's it's such a, a, it's a choice for starting this movie uh, Mm -hmm. that that immediately just felt quite strange. Yeah. um, and it happens quite a few times throughout the movie, but it is very concentrated right at the beginning. Uh, did you shed a tear when Hermione vanished out of all the family photos? No, I was mostly confused. I did not realize that Obliviate like made you back to the future all the photos of you. Yeah. Um. So that's that's pretty interesting. What did you? 
what did you make of like the 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 whole setup with with the new minister and stuff and like the the you know here kind of like setting the tone for oh this is going to be the dark movie right and the political movie um but this just feels like a weird sending out the clowns thing where it's like <laughs> we have we have a serious minister now not the fun one uh harry is sending the fun dursley characters away I love um, the Dursleys. Yeah, I was glad we got to see Vernon one last time. I think this might have been his last ever film role before he died. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but he, you know, he gets a couple lines. It's cute to see him. Uh, then um, we uh, the, the, the Hermione plot really doesn't work because we've never seen her parents in the film. I mean, we barely see them in the books, right? But it's yeah, like... I, I thought we weren't even going to see their faces because um, she was just pointing the wand at the back of their heads. Um, and, and it's almost like I feel like worse that we saw their faces. It's that very it's just like what it has no impact. It's very comical for a scene that it should be very impactful. Um, but like they, they're not characters; they look very funny. Um, and, uh, just, just in general, this just feels like a weird, like, cleaning house thing. Yeah, like, we... I don't know, it did, like, it does the whole thing where it's, like, the swelling music and, like, get very emotional, and I think at the end of the day, I just would have rather had a scene of, um, Harry seeing the Dursleys for the last time and, like, having a conversation with them. Yeah, that, or just, like, cutting entirely and starting at the next bit, which I think is actually pretty good, which is the Voldemort scene. Yeah. Um, with Snape at Malfoy Manor. And this is kind of like our big setup for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are a lot of scenes like this, but I think this is a really strong uh, uh, example of just, there are definitely moments where like Steve Clove is just has his finger on like the pulse of what would be good in these books better than JK Rowling in a lot of, in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, it's it's making me a little scared that the third Fantastic Beast movie is going to be like good. Like better. I don't mean like Yeah, I don't mean like it's going to be great cuz I don't think mm-hmm. these movies are like great or anything. Yeah. But I'm worried it's going to like work really well as a movie for like general audiences and it's going to revive the franchise. It's he he is clearly a good screenwriter. Um mm-hmm. there are there are definitely problems in these movies, but I think that a lot of them really stem from the source material and like whenever he gets to like diverge from the source material it's like when the best material pops up yeah um and like this this dumb this uh voldemort scene is a good example of that it mostly follows the plot of what happens in the book but we get some key elements that really tighten things up we get voldemort explaining why he needs the elder wand more or less Mm -hmm. um we see him uh, uh, menacing his followers in a much more direct way than the book. Um, we get a little bit of just like, uh, hey, wands are kind of a big deal in 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 this scene that the mm-hmm. book is entirely missing. Um, uh, and also, just Voldemort is like very charming and fun in this scene. Um, yeah, I I love this I love this bad guy meeting. I want I want to hang out with these guys. Yeah, we for as boring as most of the bad guy designs have been in these films, we get a real rogues gallery here. Uh, <laughs> there's a guy with gauntlets chilling next to Snape. Um, there, yeah, there, there's some people with some wacky hair. I'm I'm a fan I'm a fan of the uh, of the like the goon squad that's here. 
Um, yeah, I, I wish we got to spend more time with them. Like, I wouldn't mind be like cutting back and seeing like more meetings as oh, it goes I would, on. I would love some more bad guy council meetings because uh-huh. Ray finds he like I really don't like the visual design of Voldemort in these movies. Mm-mm. But but he it was such a perfect choice for for just as just as the actor. Um, he really brings a a a, a fun I, I think that he he nails the part of Voldemort that we enjoy pointing out in in chapters where he shows up where he's being a lot goofier, right? Yeah. And being more of like a cartoon villain. Um there's a great moment in this where he he uh <laughs> is talking to um to Lucius and Lucius uh you know calls him my lord and he just goes like back to him like really <laughs> mockingly in a very fun way um but we do get a sense of it's like hey wands are a big deal here uh uh no one really wants to you know give up their wand for Voldemort even though it would be obviously be a big honor for them um there's even I, I like I, I I swear to god we we both of us are just like on the same wavelength as like the screenwriter for this particular part um there we we talked a lot when we, we when we read this chapter mm-hmm. about how a really unexplored and like interesting split between Voldemort and his followers is that they're all aristocrats and he is like like a pagan like medievalist guy yeah um and and i love this bit where lucius hands him his wand and it has like a fancy like um like handle on it mm-hmm. and Voldemort it's like the just, cane right yeah it like comes out of his cane and so like Voldemort just looks at it and he like just breaks the silver handle off of it and drops it all back on the table in, in disgust uh-huh. and I I wish that was there because that is such one that is such an unexplored thing in the books and it is like a real split like in like at like in actual like far-right fascist like groups there are a split between like the rich fancy lads and the like, you know, the the Viking pagan guys who are like, I'm a I'm a I'm like a Viking fascist guy, right? Like I think mm-hmm. that that is a real explorable dynamic uh, that is missing from this story. Um, yeah, that is very it, interesting. It it makes some of the unexplored elements in the books like feel intentional and more coherent rather yeah. than the way it comes off in the books where it just feels messy and confused. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 validating to see little moments like that and go like, oh, I feel I feel like maybe the screenwriter also felt felt like there was something unexplored here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like just a, a strong start with with this bad guy council meeting stuff. Um, yeah, uh, we do get some Nagini content too, <laughs> which is maybe the worst part of this. Um, uh, she attacks the camera. Uh, yeah. For, for 3D purposes. Uh huh. I looked this up actually because you were asking me like, was that for the 3D? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I saw this in 3D. It had to be. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I looked it up, and apparently, it's even funnier than that. I definitely saw Deathly Hallows Part Two in 3D, but Deathly Hallows Part One, the 3D version, was canceled weeks before the movie opened because it wasn't good enough. Um, hmm. Uh, they they didn't like the final product, but that means that 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 scene with Nagini jumping at the camera is so one hundred percent there just for the three D. Oh, they didn't like that. They didn't like it. Huh. Kept it in the movie though. 
<laughs> well, yeah. Um, and then, of course, we learn through the rest of the scene that uh, Pius Thickness is going to be the new minister. Um, Draco is having second thoughts. Voldemort is looking for the wand. We just get a, like a lot of actual stakes and motivations outlined here in one scene in a way that is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a strong start. It was um, the scene that made me um, notice the whoever the stylist was for the hair. Oh yeah, in this movie. They, like, way overdid it, in my opinion. Snape has, like, feathered hair in this scene, mm. which is perfect. I don't know who... who <laughs> I don't know if he did that himself. Um, yeah. But there are a lot of, like... I don't know. I just think their hair is way overstyled. Bellatrix's hair is really something in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, like, obviously, like, enhanced by a big hairpiece wig on top, but who boy. Uh, a lot going on there. Um, Pious Thickness, of course, has very slicked back hair. Um, there are a lot of characters who are very confusingly similar in this film. Um, yeah. And a lot of that has to do with some bad costuming choices, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Nye as, uh, as um, the minister at the beginning of the film and Pious Thickness, his replacement... Like, they don't look identical, of course. Like, you know, Bill Nye is a very famous actor, but, like, they are close enough that it, I had to, like, recognize... When, when Pius Thickness does take over later in the movie, I, I, I had a moment of, like, oh, that's the, that's the different guy. Right. Um, and likewise, Lucius Malfoy, of course, looking looking luscious as always in this film. Yes. But... Kind of rugged, though. Kind of rugged. Well, he's kind of a rugged uh, vision of this guy. They tried to make him look like you know he's kind of having like a nervous breakdown or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, he's 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 uh, less put together. But I gotta say, Lucius looks pretty good with the five o'clock shadow. Looking good. Looking good. So so maybe a little backfire there. But we also get Xenophilius, who has the exact same hair color and style as him in this movie. (laughs) He looks like. Good Lucius. Like, yeah. oh, it's his, like, good guy brother. <laughs> it's a Mion and Shion situation. It is! <laughs> yeah, they look like the same guy um, uh, in, a, in a very funny sense. Um, speaking of characters looking the same, though, mm-hmm. next up is a very important scene. The Seven Potters. I hate it. It's such Bet. a stupid plan. It's it was stupid in the book, and I think that right, uh, stripping it down for a film version just reveals how dumb it is. Um, I hate I hate the like emotional moment where they decide to st- send Harry the real Harry with the dumbest guy they have. <laughs> send, send him with the most incompetent person that we've got, Hagrid, because of because it's emotional. Hagrid is what is Hagrid's deal in these movies? He's. I love Hagrid in the books. He's he's a, he's a real character. Um, he is. Do we do we love Hagrid? I love Hagrid. It, like like not. I feel like I feel like we're retconning ourselves a little bit. I okay. Maybe I'll back this up. I want to love Hagrid. Okay. I think I think I I think him as a uh, fallible character who is not the cuddly like santa claus that the movie presents him as is good oh sure yeah right okay like, i'm rem- i'm remembering now i think i'm just have a lot of bitterness about this <laughs> stupid scene um I, I i like that that hagrid is like not super trustworthy he's very clumsy he's uh he's always getting into trouble harry hermione and ron kind of always have to like 
fix his shit for him, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I, I like that about him. He's much more interesting in the books from that perspective. Yes. The movies, he is like a mascot character. Yeah. Uh, like, really hammered home by in this in this bit where they're all uh you know becoming harry potter uh and like they say like okay harry well you're riding with hagrid the dumb guy who uh fucks everything up all the time instead of being like no why am i riding with hagrid hagrid just kind of like looks at him and goes like last time i was here you were smaller than a than a bell bow truckle or whatever and just like this very fatherly like like tender moment or whatever mm-hmm. it's like that's who cares like i'm not here for like the hagrid nostalgia right like <laughs> it's a very strange scene mm-hmm. um the a lot of naked daniel radcliffe's in this scene is very yeah. weird too it's the, the whole thing is just uh I, I i think you know daniel radcliffe great i think he is a great actor uh he clearly had some fun with this part but like just unnecessary for this movie i think i I mean we watched a little bit of the behind behind the scenes thing about the scene and i'm just like but and they did all this stuff and i mean it's like fun to like kind of laugh at for the actors i think but i'm just like wow you spent a lot of time on this and i just and i just hate it it's 10 seconds that that i just can't stand it's a very self-indulgent scene yeah. Uh, it, just, just in the like, it's you know they've got Harry wearing like there's Harry wearing a bra because it's Fleur, haha, and like there's uh, Harry uh, uh, getting changed and being confused about which one's the real Harry, and then there's here's it's like it, oh, and it's also like dubbed over with the other actors' voices, which is mm-hmm. a new choice for Polyjuice just for this movie, I think. Um, yeah. Uh. And, and like, just some wacky hijinks. Um, it's, it's just, it, 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 I'm sure it was fun for everyone, but it's like, it's not it's, for me, the audience, not for me, the audience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a joke for everyone except the audience. Uh, uh-huh. it, just, it just feels, feels silly, but it's nothing compared to the chase sequence that follows. Um, I, I was, I was laughing out loud loling in yeah. real life yeah wow yeah. they some they made some choices during this chase sequence they immediately get into the <laughs> air and they like break through the clouds and then there's just it is like star wars it's like an entire squadron of starfighters <laughs> is there waiting for them these flying death eaters um and harry and hagrid instead of flying they decide, okay, the best thing to do now is to get on the freeway and do, like, a normal car chase. Yeah, they killed, like, ten people. <laughs> like, people are getting in, like, wrecks because they're, like, driving through the center of them and, like, crashing into them. There's, like, a flamethrower out the back of the motorcycle. Just, like, killed ten people. There's a part where they, like make a a car with an rv attached to it swerve and the (laughs) rv just like rolls down the street and like hits a bunch of other cars and like it itself just gets like completely mangled it is insane uh they also do a cool loop-de-loop in a tunnel drive on the ceiling in on a motorcycle (laughs) hagrid's motorcycle it's uh, it was real (laughs) 
a real tour de force. I guess, you know, there's the... I mean, if it is supposed to be a comedy routine, it did a really good job. It sure feels like it's supposed to be because it ends with Voldemort flying into some power lines. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, it is, uh... I mean, Hedwig gets blasted. Hedwig Mr. President's Harry. Yeah. Instead of, instead of, like, getting blown away in the cage, um, she... Because he lets her go before the chase starts. Uh-huh. And Smart. then... Yeah, good move. And then, um, in the middle of the chase, he is about to get blasted with, with a green with a green laser, and Uh-oh. Hedwig just flies out of nowhere and takes the bullet for him. Yeah. So I guess she was just on standby. She was ready to run defense if she had uh-huh. to. A, a very funny, like, as she gets, she, like, spins away in, like, that, yeah. whatever, the, like, CG blur is very funny. Yeah. I think they made, like, a, they put, like, a funny sad bird sound on it, too. Yeah. She goes, like, ah! No! It's, Hedwig, no! It's, it's very, it's very, well, they knew that the Owls of Cahool movie was out this year. They're like, okay, we, we can't not have owl-related violence in our film. That's true. Um, I mean, there's the other part of this. It just all looks like dog shit. You are uh, so right. I think 2010 must have the most... Owl-related violence in films of any year. <laughs> As in two movies. Yes. <laughs> That's 200% more owl violence than we usually get in films. <laughs> Will we ever have a year where we get that much owl violence in, in the cinema again? <laughs> Historical. Yeah. What a year for film. I mean, there was those um, owls in the Sonic movie, but that's just one movie. Oh, the, the owl, the big owl they died put, in the Sonic movie. I know, movie. they put that. Put the they Guardians killed the Google. big owl in I the know, Sonic but, movie. But I'm just saying, in in a year where an owl died in a Sonic film, that's still not, that's still half the owl violence that we got in 2010. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, what would we have to get to get some more owl violence in a movie? We'd have to get like... I don't know, Ocarina of Time film, maybe? Ganondorf, like, punches uh, (laughs) Gabora Gabora or something? That'd be messed up. (laughs) That'd be fucked up. But that's just to show how bad a guy he is. Right. You gotta gotta get the audience on on the owl's side. Uh Oh, I I hate Ganondorf. He punched an owl. Right. Yeah. Incredible. Oh, I'm watching it right now because I have the film open to make sure I'm walking through. Yeah. She screeches. She... Oh, she... Yeah, they added a big, a sad bird sound for when she gets hit. Oh my god. And then she just falls down to the earth. What a stupid fucking movie. I normally do not laugh at animal death in films. Like, like that's, that's, yeah. that is like the number one content thing that really bothers me in movies is I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like to see um, animals <laughs> die. Um, yeah. But, but this one just, I just, I did laugh. It's very comical. I, I mean, it's just like entirely CGI, right? Like it's just a cartoon owl getting blasted by a laser from a guy. And it's just like out of nowhere, too. Yeah, yeah. This is not not set up, not necessary. Just, just completely. It never comes up again. Yeah, Harry does not seem all that torn up about it. There's a really. part where they're like done on, they're done in the chase sequence, and Hagrid just like turns to him and just like does like a shrug, like. Eh, like I yeah. guess that didn't go too good, huh? 
<sighs> so we get back to the burrow. No, the burrows. Uh, no Ted- oh, God. Yes. What is the fuck is with that? Not only does <laughs> does Moody say, go to the burrows, mm-hmm. uh, head for the burrows. Um, there's a flashback to it later where Harry, like has like a war flashback of like, damn, it was fucked up when I was in that motorcycle chase and my owl got blown up. Right. But he also, they they really draw attention to it that he said, go to the burrows. Go to the burrows. Um, and I'm... My, I, I also like, the, I wouldn't have even thought of it, but the burrows got blown up in book six, or rather it's movie okay. six. Doesn't matter. It's back now, I guess. It's back now. I But that's what I was wondering, is that like maybe maybe the burrow got blown up and then they rebuilt it, but this time it's the burrows. It's two. the it's burrows. burrow two. Burrow two, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. There are a few parts of this movie where it really feels like they might have only had like a day with that actor. Uh-huh. And just had to work with what they had. I in the burrow sequence when um, Bill Nye shows up to like deliver the will. Mm-hmm. Um, all respect to Bill Nye, great actor uh, in a lot of great movies. Um, there are a few moments where I'm like, did you not want another take of that? Was like, he supposed to be imperious or something? I don't think so. Maybe it's very weird. He's very weird. There's the part where he is reading off the names and he like almost says Ron's name wrong. He says Ronald M- B- Billius Weasley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, his inflection is very strange for a lot of, uh, a lot of his scene. It, it just in a way that just made me feel like, okay, maybe this guy's rate is too high. You only have one day with him. Yeah. And <laughs> he's just kind of, uh, just kind of stumbling through it. Um, uh, the burrow is interesting because it has uh, a, a really good example of how um, the film's best tendencies clash with the book's worst tendencies. Mm-hmm. Where Harry storms off at one point, mm-hmm. and Ron has to go after him. And the characterization they've given Harry here is where he's like, fuck this, fuck weddings, I'm just going to go do this thing Dumbledore told me to do. Mm-hmm. And him and Ron have a really good conversation that characterizes Harry in a like really interesting way that the book really fucked up with. But we've talked about a lot with how just like insane his like desire to see this wedding is um, in in, in book six and seven. Um, But then it immediately has to pivot when it's back to book content because he's like making out with Ginny in that one scene and She's like, damn, it sure seems stupid we have a wedding to go to, huh? And he goes, oh, no, it's good. I, I like them now, actually. Yeah, he's like, isn't that, but it's worth celebrating. It's something, and it's just that, like. That's why, that's oh, why. Oh, no, it's Book Harry again. Yeah. Book Harry, yeah. go away. Yeah, Book Harry, go away. B- movie Harry is so much better. Um, he makes so much more sense. Uh, uh, I mean, Daniel Radcliffe clearly has, like, a fun understanding of the character, um it's just him though yeah 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 he's just kind of a like a goofball who gets who gets a little gets a little worked up sometimes it's good i i think the books always were gonna have a lot of staying power culturally yeah but there are just so many moments where i watch these movies and i'm like is uh, is it like is did he do too good a job 
And I'm not even saying like it's like the most amazing acting ever or no. anything like that. Not like Lana Bonham Carter in this film or anything. <laughs> um, but just like, would it have had the cultural staying power if it weren't for these movies being so charming and Daniel Radcliffe being Harry Potter. Because I think that even if you are a big book fan and all that, I think what you imagine when you imagine the Harry Potter as a character, you just you just imagine Dan Radcliffe. He is he brings a lot of great energy to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean he always has. I think that in these in these last two movies in particular, um he's just been fantastic. I mean like he 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 just he, and a part of this probably just is because he actually was like an awkward teen filming mm-hmm. this stuff, right? But he is just so good at like awkward teen stuff. Yeah. Um. There, there are moments later in this film, uh, that aren't even dialogue. Uh, where he is just like really, really, really charming. Like, um, when they're camping, there's a bit where like a prolonged segment where they're camping. Um, in, in this part of England where there are like those big rocks everywhere mm-hmm. and he has a serious conversation with Hermione but he's like hopping from rock to rock in like a really like just like very like childish way uh-huh like like and just like standing on one foot and like like just kind of bouncing back and forth and it's like yeah that's Harry Potter to me is he I I I think a lot of my just like subconscious characterization of like who i thought harry was supposed to be rereading these books is based pretty much squarely on his performance of him as kind of a goofy goofy kid yeah and i think that just how um non-characterized harry is in the books it's easy to fill that in in your mind even when reading to be honest yeah 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 because I mean, like th- this scene that, that I was talking about with him and Ron. I mean, like uh, honestly, um, uh, Rupert Grint is doing great in this scene as well when they're arguing about like sticking around for this wedding or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really is just like these are completely invented for the film versions of these characters. Yeah, and I think I think in the ways that Rupert's character Ron gets sidelined in the film, it's like I think Rupert's doing a really good job, but there's just nothing for Ron to do. Yeah, yeah, he's doing the best with what he has. Uh huh. Um, uh, very much sidelined in these films, unfortunately. Uh, we do get the wedding in full. There was a moment where we were both excited for maybe not have the wedding. I thought they were just gonna leave. I thought that we were gonna skip the wedding. Harry was storming out. Ron was gonna follow and then be like, I'll get Hermione. And then they were just gonna leave. And they're gonna be like, fuck weddings. Yeah. No. No. We still have the wedding. We have the entire Elphias Doge and anti-Muriel scene. I will say, to the film's credit... Uh, they realized that the disguise thing was fucking pointless. Yeah. Got rid of it here. Yep. Um, but uh, still, still a just uh, diabolically boring scene. Overall. <laughs> <laughs> um, the things that they try to punch up all of this pre adventure stuff with is so funny. There's so, so we talked a little bit about the minister coming to give them the stuff from the will. Yeah. We get the CGI floating letter in that. Which yeah. is bonkers. Um, and then not only do we get that, there's the part where going into the wedding, Harry, like, summons the snitch that he got from the minister. Yeah, it's like his familiar now. It's like his friend. He's got this, like, CGI snitch following him everywhere. It's very weird. I, I 
some strange choices here. I mean, I assume it's just there so that we remember that it exists, right? It's that. Because there's literally like, no other reason for us to remember or care about it. I feel like also, uh, just another thing, just like Nagini, sure feels like something that was invented for the 3D. Oh, you're right. Like the snitch would fly in from off screen and everyone would go, <gasps> Woo! <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, Patronuses are meteors now. Yeah, they are. I couldn't tell uh, if the movie was trying to make this um, not a Patronus. Like, mm. there was a part of me where I was like, did they just, like, realize how stupid that is? Mm-hmm. Because we see another Patronus in the movie, and it's Umbridge's. Yeah. And it's definitely that same, like... It's, like, the same color and, like, sort of the same effect. But it, but it but, is a creature. It, it's a creature. And this is, like, sort of a communication orb. Like, yeah. it shows up and it, there's, like, pictures in it and stuff. <laughs> it's got, yeah, it's, they sent a gift to them. Yeah. So I'm, like, I'm wondering if the filmmakers, like, in adapting it, like, read about Patronuses being cell phones, and they're like, no, that's stupid. But they yeah. can't make it not a Patronus, because book people will be like, no, that's supposed to be Kingsley's Patronus, right? <laughs> so they, like, compromise, and they're like, it's an orb with a gif in it. <laughs> it's like plausible it's... deniability for the Patronus cell phone. Yeah, yeah, possible. Because it, it appears like a media, it looks like a Final Fantasy summon. Yeah. Like, it, it flies into this room... Uh, and, and like delivers a message and then poofs away. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it, it, like, you, like you said, has the Patronus like coloring and stuff, but mm-hmm. not, not a behavior that we've ever seen for Patronuses before. Well, it's not an animal. Right. Unless, unless Kingsley's Patronus is supposed to be an orb, which I guess is possible. That's, that, that's what makes him happiest is memories of orb. I mean, it's funny to me, now that I think about it, that the two Patronuses you see that are, like, like we in this movie, his would have been a cat, too. Because his is like a lynx. Oh, that is right. So maybe they were worried people would get confused or something. Cause the, I don't cause know. Because the, the Umbridge one is pretty front and center in her scene. That is a good point. Yeah. Um, it looks yeah, like a PlayStation I... 1 model. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, PlayStation 2. Yeah. It looks well. It looks like a cutscene model from a PS One game. Yeah, that's right. It looks, it's got that CG early CG feel to it. Uh huh. Um, but but the so the wedding gets crashed, and they swoop away to London. Um, I think the gunfight that ensues here is silly, but I will say I do really like um, uh, the like, the 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 initial thing of them walking through London. I thought this was cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that. Like, again, there's just some stuff that um, really benefits from being a movie and the charm that the actors bring to it. And and the thing that I think that the book missed out on, which is that, like, fun seeing characters in an environment that they're not usually in, the movie yeah. delivered on that fun thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also, there's a key moment here um, that I thought was really fun. And I realize that it's there to set up the Ron jealousy plot. But it's, I think it's just, like, a nice character moment that the books are missing entirely. Mm. And it's, as they're, like, walking through London and they're, like, making their plan, Hermione goes, oh, no, we forgot your birthday. 
Mm. Uh, and, and she's like, oh, me and Ginny, we're going to bring in the cake for you at the wedding. And like, Harry is just like, that's very sweet, but uh, kind of not what I'm worried about right now. <laughs> but like, that's just such a one, just a fun interaction between uh, uh, Hermione and Harry. Um, but two, like the book is missing so many of those moments that feel like, oh, these are these characters being teens together yeah uh and and that that i felt was uh, was was a cute was a cute addition yeah um but then it all falls apart when uh they go to a coffee shop and have a born identity gunfight with two mooks yeah wands have been guns the whole time but they're really just like dropping all pretense in this movie they're not even saying spells anymore nope Hermione yells a spell and it feels like such an afterthought because they've just exchanged gunfire. They're like behind cover Mm -hmm. and are just like shooting at each other. But then like Hermione (laughs) eventually stands up and and gives a Petrificus Totalis and says it. But in that case, it just ends up feeling stupid. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's an odd choice. It's I, I think that it is something that has only aged worse as time has gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, this style of, like, shaky cam action was all the rage now. But uh, I don't think that it's, I, like, I, I think that has kind of tapered off a little bit. And it just ages this movie uh, pretty, pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. And, and just on top of it, also just being a weird choice for Harry Potter. Uh, we also get the dust ghost. Um, yes. Once they leave, uh, leave this gunfight and head to Grimald Place. This is a weird one where I'm not sure why they bothered with it. Uh, for the 3D. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yes, for the 3D. You're right. Because, it, yeah, it flies at the camera directly. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. It's so funny that they didn't end up making a 3D release of this. <laughs> um. Because, yeah, they, they even say, like, oh, what was what the fuck was that about? I guess it was Moody's idea, but there's no other, like, traps in Grimald Place. So no, it's just like, Mo- and it, it doesn't even do the conceit of, like, they said the magic words that made the dust ghost go away, so maybe it would have been threatening. It just literally is a haunted house jump scare. <laughs> Good job, Moody. <laughs> Thanks, Moody. Um... There are a couple of good changes in Grimmauld Place, though. I think that um, Harry uh, um, and Ron and Hermione kind of spending some time there is established in a cute way with uh, the bit where uh, Ron... Is it Ron and Hermione that are playing piano? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, I like she's that like part. teaching him how to play piano or something. Yeah, she's teaching how to play piano. We see the radio for the first time in that scene, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've changed Sirius's room to not have babe posters in it. Instead, he's got a bat skeleton diorama. Um, yeah, they did. This is a moment where I feel like they had they did the best they could with creature. Mm. Because of course you can't put creature's tail in a movie because it would be fucking insane. They could have put creature's tail. in I mean, the they movie. could. They could have put creature's tail in the movie, but like how? how how do you do that in a movie um it is a little weird that like creatures status is like uh you know like a slave is like even less focused on because of that though um harry just like orders him with like no internal conflict whatsoever to go and find mundungus for them um and then Dobby comes back, and I guess they're just, I guess Dobby's not like, hey, hang on a second, why, 
what's the deal? You're like, there's no, there's no reckoning with that. I mean, like, there's not much of one in the book either, but like, uh, weird that it's just unremarked upon at all in this one. Yeah, this is like definitely, I I think the filmmakers found themselves between a rock and a hard place because they definitely couldn't put it in as written. No. It's extremely fucked up as written. Yeah. There's no, like, I just, I can imagine Steve Clovis being like, we can't put this in the movie. This is so, (laughs) this is so messed up. But then they're like, like, also, what do you do? You know, they have. You can't not have creature. You can't not have creature and you can't not introduce Dobby to have him die so that people will be sad. Yeah. It's a real conundrum, I guess. And like, the thing with creature specifically is I think this also benefits slash, you know, big question mark on benefits here. But like, I don't think, I don't remember, did we ever get an explicit scene in, um, in, in movie six about Harry owning creature? Cause I don't think we do. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's ever brought up that like cr- creature has been like passed on to Harry by Sirius's will. Uh, whereas here it just seems like Creature is like another funny little guy like Dobby who is just grumpier. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is like the best way to write that character, right? Like just just have him just be a fun little elf as well, and like not not a fucking slave, um, right? But it, it, not knowing how I'm supposed to take it in the movie doesn't make it much less uncomfortable, I guess. Yeah, um, I think you're not supposed to think about it too much. Y- yeah. I think yeah. that's what they were going for anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the creature's fun. Uh, I like I like his voice performance. He's like, I think that the models for both Dobby and Creature are very weird in this movie, but he's well animated. I think they're a little too big. Yeah, that might be part of it. It kind of, they, they freak me out a little bit. They're very strange. And like the... I went back again just to confirm I wasn't going insane because, like, m- my recollection has always been that, like, Dobby's CG in uh, in Chamber of Secrets is, like, shockingly good. Mm-hmm. And it is. It still holds up. That movie is nearly 20 years old. Dobby looks incredible in that movie. Yeah. Um, like, clearly, clearly dated in some ways, but, like, considering how old the movie is, kind of insane. Right. Um... Dobby and Creature here, I don't think always look that great. Um, just like there's something about the skin, the smoothness, the like way that lights bouncing off them. It's very strange looking sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way that's like it, it almost reminds me of like playing like a remake of a game mm-hmm. where you're like, I know that this technically looks better, right? But I think that artistically it looks worse or mm-hmm. something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure like a decade passed between these two movies. The technology absolutely eclipsed Chamber of Secrets. Um, but like, I don't know if it I don't know if it's like actually looks better. You know, I wonder if it has to do with them like designing Dobby for the 10-year-old technology, but then the new movie feeling beholden to keeping with that design, but yeah, not maybe. having it be the best thing for more advanced technology. I don't know. It's just like they made him to try to be more appealing, but the 
the model and the design is just a little bit kind of gross. It's it's got that really fleshy. It has like really intense. Um, oh, what's it called? Subsurface scattering. That yes. like lighting technique for skin, right? Um, that like makes it look like translucent skin, and it looks like technically very good. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think I want to look at Dobby in a movie and go, "Damn, that's some real skin," you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, you notice it in that way more than you do the real actors who have real skin, right? Like, it's yeah. more like, it feels like they're interacting with um, one of those hyper-realistic baby dolls. <laughs> the reborn dolls? Yes, yeah. he looks yeah. like a reborn doll quality creature. Yeah, yeah, Cre- Creature and Dobby both look very strange. I think, the honestly, the thing about Dobby's model that really throws me off um is that in the wide shots, I don't know if you picked up on this, mm. but it was bo- it was driving me crazy in every shot that he appeared. Dobby kind of, like, he's been working on his arms over the summer. Yeah, he has. He's got real big muscles. <laughs> he has very identifiable muscle musculature. Yeah. I don't know if that's a great choice. <laughs> he looks like he's been doing push-ups. He's, he's, I mean, like, good on him, I guess, if, if, if that's what he wants to do. He's like, hey, I'm free. I'm a free elf. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hit the gym. Uh, and, get, uh, get my buff boy some clothes. Yeah, that's, I think that's the other part of the elf, elf design that is a big bummer, is that, it, I guess it makes sense for Creature to still be wearing a pillowcase. Dobby, he's been free for a decade. I want to see uh, his, like, cool clothes that he loves. It's like his only character at this point. Yeah. Get him some hats, you know? I I feel like, like, it feels like that might even set up, like, the emotional impact of his death a little more if he was, like, I don't know, like, you can do, like, kind of shortcuts to make him feel like a character. Give him some hats. Give him, like, a cozy sweater. Yeah, yeah. He's got shoes. He's got, like, some kicks that are pretty good. Yeah, is Creature um, barefoot? Creature's barefoot. Dobby has um, some six sneakers on. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the Yeezy 2s on. Uh, yeah. He's looking very fly, but, uh-huh. uh, but Creature uh, barefoot the whole time. Barefoot's legal. Like, um, uh, Yeah, barefoot is legal. Um, I, like, It feels like we're spending a lot of time on talking about the health health designs, but then I'm like, wait, the whole like emotional crux of the end of this movie is Dobby dying. So this is like your last <laughs> chance to uh, to make that matter. Yeah, I, yeah, they, they only appear in this like opening bit, right, with the heist. And it's like, well, they got to make it count. Right, and, and Dobby's, like, like, not even really the main guy in the scene. He's there, and it's, like, for the audience to point and be like, hey, I remember him from movie two. Yeah, from t- nearly ten years ago. Yeah. Um, he saw... <laughs> the, the way... So they bring Mundungus Fletcher back. That actor is so funny. He's having a great time. Yeah, he I really is. liked him. Um, but the the... The the description that, that uh, he gives of the situation where he says, uh... Oh, uh, uh, this little fellow saw me flogging me wares in Diagon Alley. And I'm like, oh, uh-oh, hold on. <laughs> saw you what? You saw you what, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think the Mundungus actor is having a great time. Um, he's he's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Daniel Craig, as as you remember. Is, exactly, uh, yep. <laughs> um, 
so then we get the heist after all this. Uh-huh. Uh, which I think is, you know, something something that really highlights for me just, like, the worst parts of this movie being when it has to stick to the book. Uh-huh. And us getting the entire fucking ministry heist in this is such a drag to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess we had to get the locket, right? They had to get the locket, but I, I guess there was no other way to do it. We, we just have to go through literally every beat. We get the statue. We get the toilets. We get the, the wife stuff. We get, um, uh, we get the, you know, I, I thought this watching it and apparently is intentional and it being intentional actually bothers me because I think the thing it's referencing is so much better. Mm. Um, the bit where. Harry is walking as Runcorn through the, like, propaganda department. Yeah. Is so similar to the movie Brazil. Mm. Um, which is a great fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, the way that they have taken Brazil's kind of, like, dark humor and tried to wedge it into just this one scene in Harry Potter <laughs> just really does not work. The tone is all over the place in this part. Mm-hmm. They're doing this wacky thing where they have, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione voicing these other actors. And Harry is playing... Harry is, like, David O'Hara. He's, like, a very recognizable British actor. And, like, it's really laying it on thick. Like, he's barely able to walk in this form in the movie. And it's just is all... Is that what's com- going on? Yeah, he's, like, wiggling oh, around. I couldn't he's figure like- out what was happening. And it's and it's funny because I, I've read... Some people, this this is a post that goes around on the subreddit. It's oh, yeah. not one of the super common ones, but it pops up every now and again. And it's like, can we take a minute to appreciate the actors in the Ministry yeah. High scene yep. pretending to be um, Dan, Emma, and Rupert as Harry, Brown and Hermione? And what I forgot is that I, di- I had no idea that they dubbed the actors' voices in the scene. Totally so ruins I, it. So I thought the actors were going to be like doing their voices and like doing the whole scene. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not very convinced by this, I guess. I was not like impressed. And it, it just, would be a, yeah, they, their voices are dubbed over. Yeah. I feel like it would have gone a long way to have them using their actual voices here. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe but that like, would have been confusing, but there's, I mean, I don't know. You're making the movie, like, make it not confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's your job. That's <laughs> your guys' job. Um, but it's just, it's just so over the top. And so, like, like, like Harry, the guy playing Runcorn is really hamming it up. And he's, like, he's, like, looking suspicious and he's, like, barely walking properly. And he's, like, sweating. It's just, it's very, very silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh... We do at least, I, I will say this, it's not done well, but it is done more than 0%, which is how it's handled in the book, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where Harry asks, hey, hey, how long does the polyjuice last? And yeah. Hermione says, I didn't say how long the polyjuice lasted. Okay, but what does that mean? Very stupid, because poly- we know how long polyjuice lasts. Yeah, it's it lasts one an hour. hour. Um, and... Like, it's, I at least appreciate them nodding towards a ticking clock there, because the book just ignores that completely. They're, right. Who knows how long they were in the heist. Um, but yeah, very weird 
weird line from Hermione to just be like, oh, he's, what does he say? He says, how long did you say the polyjuice will last? He says, she says how long? No, dumber than that. He says, how long does this batch last? Mm, like mm-hmm. you can like change it depending on how you make it. That's right. And she says, I didn't. I'm like. Okay, then tell me now. <laughs> can you tell me so now? What then, <laughs> so what is it? So what is it? Then uh, then we get the whole Ministry Escape scene. Uh, I think we were bang on with our um, analysis of the v- the book version of this, that this was all written for the movie. Mm-hmm. Like she, she had the movie version of this in her head, because it is 100% from page to screen the same scene. Yeah. Um, uh, and, like, easier to follow, right? Because it's, like, visual, but, like, just very funny that it's like, yeah, this is... This is all this is all just 100% what the book was trying to get across. I think the tone is so bad here. I do, it's I, all over I do the place. not think it's pulling off the uh-oh the ministry is Nazis now. No. into like comedy routine. Yeah. Cuz like the the Brazil connection is mm-hmm. such a weird thing to invoke cuz like Brazil is a very funny dark comedy about like a fascist government. Right. But, like, that's the whole movie, right? Like, it is the the entire movie is dedicated to, like, making that joke work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, exploring, like, like the dark humor of that. Whereas here, we go from, like, a wedding being crashed and very serious, like, Gestapo guys chasing Harry and Hermione around to wacky, incompetent, goofy government stuff. And then straight back into the serious shit. It, 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 like, it's almost backwards. It's like, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't it be like, oh, it feels, it feels kind of funny and, and haha goofs in the real world. But then when you see what the, you know, how the sausage is actually made, it's like horrifying. I, I don't know. Like, it just feels backwards if they have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, either way. It is not, it is not well handled. Yeah. I, I think there's a way they could do it. And I just feel like it failed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like, either the whole thing needs to be a dark comedy or none of it is, mm-hmm. right? But, like, you can't just, like, dip into it occasionally. Right. Um, good good news, though. We leave the ministry for a bit, and then we get, like, a solid fucking hour of camping. Yeah. Um, and this is the part I was dreading. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, I think all of this is the best stuff in the movie. Yep. It feels like a sort of baby version of other stories throughout <laughs> i th- i think that's my takeaway but um i was honestly like pretty pleasantly surprised by it it was sort of a funny fun like adventure cozy mood sort of deal it's got a very cozy melancholy mood they've there's some great locations they go to mm-hmm. um, um uh i think that this kind of story kind of works better in a movie than a book mm-hmm. um uh, at least in the specifics of like, cause like, you know, I like a story where nothing happens and it's like just character work. Right. Yeah. But the character work in Deathly Hallows, the book is abysmal. There's no character work. There is no character work. Um, and so in the movie using this space to give the actors room to act and, and like, convey stuff through body language and maybe some new written scenes that are, are made specifically for the movie and stuff. It is, it is so much better um, 
than than I was expecting. And they just they just visit some cool locations. There's like some pretty forests. Um, there's some like nice uh, fields and vistas. There's one part in particular I really like where, and I'm, I'm not sure where exactly they are, but they like they go to like an abandoned RV park, and then they go to this place that's like i don't know what it is there's like these weird cones that they're next to mm. these like big concrete cones mm -hmm. in the water and i'm like oh this looks really cool yeah um and i have no idea where that is but it is a very striking image uh, uh -huh. and it it just it, it it the change of scenery visually and the, the the way that it's able to montage it a bit with some music and stuff it, it just makes this a lot more fun to watch than it was to read yeah, I think, like, it sort of makes me wonder if this is what J.K. Rowling was imagining when she wrote mm. the book, and I'm wondering if she just really had movie brain. Like, that. Like I think that there's stuff like the ministry, right? When we read that, we were like, this feels written for a movie, right? But, <laughs> but what if it went further than that? What if she was writing for a possible movie in a lot of the places that we didn't expect? I mean, that's disastrous for the book, right? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. these if this is what she was imagining, this is purely this is purely movie, right? This doesn't work for a novel. Um, there's a novel version of this that she didn't write, um, where the characters <laughs> interact with each other. Um yeah. and you can build a mood in a novel. I'm not saying that you can't, but like Deathly Hallows like falls on its face if that's what it's trying to do. Yeah. Um but was she writing this and was like, oh, I can imagine what it'll be like in the movie where there's pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it just, it clicks so much better as a film, this stuff. And even the, like, as you know, I think it is the weakest part of it, them having to like fall back on the Ron Boromir stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that they, they do their best to, make some of his like descent into Hanamizawa syndrome make more sense. <laughs> um, there's, there's a part that I thought was so stupid for the first half of the scene that then pivots around to being like, Oh, okay. I get why they did this. Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, in the middle of this big camping trip, uh, there's a part where Hermione wanders off uh, on the property that they've, um, you know, aligned with the, the spells to like get some food or whatever um, or, or some, firewood or something and the snatchers walk by her and one of them smells her perfume and i was like what a silly thing to add very weird uh-huh but but then there's her harry like catches up with her and they have this conversation about like oh good thing guess we know your enchantments work huh um and there's this moment where uh, uh, she says, like, oh my god, they smell they smell my perfume. And then as they're walking back, Harry says, uh, maybe next time just don't wear your perfume or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And Ro that's the only part of the conversation that Ron sees. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. I kind <laughs> of like that. That's yeah. cute. Yeah. The, the, this paranoia Ron is building about Harry and Hermione, like, sneaking off to make out in the woods or whatever is... That's clever, I think. Yeah. Um, they did a good job with that. Uh, uh, there were a couple of moments like that where I was like, oh, okay, that's a novel way to do this bad thing. <laughs> if you have to have the subplot in here, get, sure, this is good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think all their changes are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The radio thing makes more sense in this sequence. Um, oh, yeah. Doing away with the... Oh, my God. I just, like, the radio thing makes a lot... Of, like, it is all feeding into his paranoia, and it really is just, like... um like wartime death notification radio that he's yeah. become like obsessed with. Yeah. Versus like, Hey guys, you got to listen to this cool podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so much better that Ron is just like going nuts, listening to all the bad news all day. I mean, um, frankly, I loved that scene of them walking through those fields, just the way it looked like I, yeah, I think that, yeah. that was really cool. And he's like lagging behind in the back and he's looking real rough and they put yeah. his hairs all messed up and he's got the radio around his neck and is listening to like the list of names. I that was pretty well done. There's some great little moments like that. Yeah. The argument that culminates in the tent, too, is very mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, uh, Harry, they they do something interesting with the Horcrux, and like the problem is that the Horcrux still ultimately is total nonsense because it's like, why are any of them wearing it mm-hmm. when it's so obvious that it's making them pissy? Um, the wearing the mo- thing is really weird though too. Like I don't know why it's just not emanating like a high pitched shrill noise all the time. Yeah, that they just have to listen to because it's not like they can get rid of it right they have to destroy it yeah they can't like put it somewhere so it feels like it has created an issue where it seems easier to just write it differently yeah and and, and i like i like the the radio thing for ron because there's 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 a moment where you know he's been listening to this radio the whole time he's listening to the death notifications it's clearly bad for him to do this mm-hmm. um and there's this moment where Harry and Hermione are having this conversation very upbeat about this clue that they figured out. Great acting from Dan here too, by the way. <laughs> uh, when when because he's he Hermione is like reading this book and she goes, "Oh my god!" And uh, Harry runs in and she like says just something really obvious, like the Sword of Gryffindor. And he does this like finger guns thing and he goes, "Brilliant." And then he just like moves the walk away, <laughs> which is just a really, really cute moment. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but then this es- this escalates into a big fight because Ron's been listening to the radio and he has the Horcrux. But there's this moment where Hermione says uh, a line that I was begging for in the book, where she says like, "Take the Horcrux off, please. Like you wouldn't be you wouldn't be saying any of this without it." And he takes it off and throws it at them, but he's still got the radio, so like yeah. he's still. Like, like something, it, it's not just the Horcrux pissing him off. It's like, he, he is too far gone for even right. the Hor- like, for just the Horcrux to be the problem. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's a, a nice way to handle that. But yeah, I, I think, I think that for as plot, a plot that is as silly as the baby Boromir stuff, mm-hmm. they did the best they could. And, and there's some, honestly, some pretty good material in here. Yeah. It's, um... It makes for good movie scenes. Like I, it doesn't yeah. make for good book scenes. It never does. <laughs> but I'm like, yep, this is, this is movie stuff. Where it's the it's the theater. Good job, guys. Yeah, we got to see some actors acting. Yep. Um, this all, of course, culminates in maybe the best scene in the entire movie franchise. <laughs> yep. The dancing scene. Yeah. Much, much talked about dancing scene um once ron has kind of fucked off and they've 
there's like a few, you know, there's a few scenes of Harry and Hermione trying to carry on without him. Um, and then we just get this scene, zero dialogue of, uh, instead of listening to the death reports on the radio, they're like listening they're, they he finds some music and it's a Nick Cave song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have first a slow dance and then it sort of evolves into just this like really fun, uh, like more, more cheerful thing. It's, it's a really, really great moment. I, I'm shocked that this was ever controversial. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I think this is some of Emma's best acting in this movie. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, I'm always kind of struck by, like, I'm trying not to be mean. <laughs> I can be mean to celebrities. It doesn't matter. Yeah, be mean to celebs. Um, I feel like most people think that Emma's, like, the best actor in these movies. Uh, and she kind of went on and probably had, like, the most success. I mean, Dan Radcliffe is also successful, and he kind of does his, like, indie stuff yeah. and, like, art movies and stuff. But she kind of went out and, like, kept doing like blockbusters and did like beating the beast and she did like the bling ring and stuff she's been in a lot of like famous movies since harry potter i think that she is sort of the most like neutral to me of the three yeah um and i think that her acting is often like quite awkward and and she's a kid for sure um this is probably one of her most standout scenes to me um and it's like a little bit of i think she's like playing off of of dan radcliffe uh, when they like start to like, it gets more at bead and they're like dancing and, and they start to get just like a little dorky. Like they just yeah. really remind me of like high schoolers doing like a goofy dance at, at like junior prom. Yeah. It's, it's a really, really cute moment. I love, there's a, I, I don't even really know how to describe it from, from Dan. Uh, uh, um, like Emma plays off really well in this scene where, like he, when he starts the dance thing, it's clearly like you could see, and like he's very, um, he's taking the lead in this scene, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he he just like he very confidently goes up to her, takes her hand, and starts the dance. Mm-hmm. But there's this great moment where you can see. I think that that was basically where his confidence like ran out. Like that was mm-hmm. as far. That's as far as Harry like saw looked ahead. Yeah. <laughs> in that moment. Yeah. Because the dance gets because like they slow dance for a bit, but then it gets sillier, and he starts like wiggling his hips, and he starts like shaking his shoulders, and doing more of like just a jokey dance, and then they're like kind of doing this mocking ballroom dance. Like it. Like it's this very fun. Like he is. He was like. He he clearly thought, you know, this would be a cool thing for me to do, but didn't think much further ahead than that. And and he just reverts back to being dorky Harry. Mm-hmm. But it's still a very sweet moment and it works. Uh, it, it's really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, great song choice, too, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I think that I mean, I'm, I'm a Nick Cave fan, so I'm a little biased here. <laughs> but I think that I think that just choosing a song that is like. Uh, both very upbeat, but also just has like incredibly depressing lyrics. Is a is a good choice here. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think this one's. I mean, I went and like read the lyrics online just because it is so controversial and it's like a little on the nose, I guess. But you know, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a Nick Cave ballad. Not a, yes. not a guy known for subtlety, really. Right. Um. Uh. But yeah, no, I I thought it was a great a great scene. Um, I think it is the highlight of the movie. I think it is probably the highlight of the franchise. <laughs> like it is, it it is so relieving to just see two characters that I like 
having a moment and it like it doesn't need any dialogue it doesn't really need to move a plot forward or anything it's just like here's characters interacting with each other right yeah it's just such a relief uh in a a series has often felt like i mean like the movies especially just have often felt like all gas no breaks no chance for any characterization like plot only stuff um what do you make of people that don't like it because I think there's a few reasons that people will say that they don't like it. Although I also think that there is a perception that it is more unpopular than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, you know, valid not to like it. Uh, I I just think that for a... Um, I, I, like, I think the biggest criticism I always see is one that it's like, uh, why, why is it a, like, muggle pop song, right? Mm-hmm. And not like why didn't they? I don't know why. Why isn't it a wizarding song um, or, I mean, or it, something? It is a Muggle radio. That's true. It is a Muggle radio, but but also I just I I I think I I just think that it is nice to have wizards engaged in some sort of Muggle culture at all, right? Because that's, that's such a weird separation in the books. Um, I, I think it's nice. I think part of it too is that, like. When I think of the alternatives, I think of the Hippogriff song from movie four. Yeah. Which is so fucking bad. Um, I would I would have hated to if this scene had been the same, but they were listening to like the fucking wizard wheels on the bus song again, it would have not had the same impact, I don't think. Yeah. Um I think that there is like some people that just are going to have an issue with a real world song in Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, and I can, I can, I can see it. I respect it, but I, I think that it is a great choice. Um, and I, I think for me too, real like being, I, I do remember being in the theater and recognizing the song because that album came out that year. Um, and it was an album I had been listening to. Yeah. Um, and so it was just a real moment of connection for me, right? Like, oh, these these characters are listening to the same music I'm listening to at home. That's kind of interesting right like that's a that's a that's a moment of just like huh just, they're just like me i'm also a, a wizard right or not really I think, but like i think it is smart to acknowledge that harry and hermione are from the muggle world yeah i'm yeah, not saying that... like that's exactly what's happening but when i think about that scene i'm like yeah ron is like tuning into the special wizard channel on the muggle radio but harry and hermione would know how to tune into the normal radio mm-hmm I think that's cool. I mean, I don't know if they really thought about it that much, right? But it's a, but it's a nice side effect, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, speaking of side effects, I guess the other like criticism of this thing is that it's like I've seen a lot of people saying it's like, oh, the director just wanted Harry and Hermione to happen so bad. Um, and like, the director this is... doesn't care. <laughs> the the director doesn't care, but also, you know, who did want her Harry and Hermione to happen at this point was J.K. Hmm. Rowling. Yeah, interesting. Um, there, she has some interesting comments about this, about this scene where she said, you know, she saw it, she loved it, and it felt like seeing a ghost of what could have been. Um, God, she's so fucking weird. This was before she said that, like, oops, I should have, I should have paired Harry and Hermione off and not Ron. Um. I mean, she should have. She should have. Ron has, Ron has nothing to do. Ron has She's, he's, it's such a shame. Rupert does a great job, I think. That character, just a mess. And I think too the movie, because it is, um, it is inventing so many scenes um, mm-hmm. 
of of Harry and Hermione getting closer that it does feel like a real romantic moment. I mean, there there is there is the moment. There's like that really bittersweet thing at the end of that dance sequence where it like they sort of both look like they're going in for a kiss and then just stop. Yeah. Um, and um, it's really it's really jarring because they stop and then it's immediately back to book plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's it's really something but the, but it's but it's great and I think the scene directly after this too is the one I was talking about where like they're on those rocks and Harry like does that goofy little like jump around on the rocks while they're talking about the plot. Mm-hmm. And the way they've reframed this scene is very interesting because um Harry noticed the, uh, oh, that's the other thing. They go to kiss and then stop. And then it cuts to Harry in his bunk and he kisses the snitch. Yeah. And so there's like, always, there's like this sad, like teen who missed out on his, on his first kiss with Hermione thing. Ball is life. (laughs) Ball is life. Um, and he like kisses the snitch sort of ironically, uh, and then he he sees the I open at the close message. <laughs> That's how him and Hermione sort of piece together to go to Godric's Hollow, mm-hmm. which is like flimsy. I think the movie does a great job of acting like the clues make sense. Yes, the, I, there is literally no way to make it make sense, right? Other, yeah, other than like exposition in the way that it does in the book where it has to make sense, but it, it moves the pieces around. So it's like, if you're not paying too close attention (laughs) or if you're like movie only, then you'll think you missed something and it makes more sense than it does. It makes no fucking sense. They did a great job. Cause, cause yeah, this, this, this on paper makes no actual sense. Right. But the emotion and like the, like the, 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 uh, uh, the, like, acting here where harry is very excited he brings us to hermione she agrees but there's she's sort of like um kind of apprehensive about it and he's like jumping around on these rocks going like oh no i think i think this is what we're supposed to do i think this is like it just it just carries it through a very a completely nonsense like a b plot Mm-hmm. Um, but it has it does it with like such panache <laughs> that I'm kind of like okay sure like why not I, I mean it's really funny like just watching it with as close attention as we've been paying to the book like I, it, it feels like watching someone do a sleight of hand trick on me and I'm like <laughs> I see how you did that um, and I'm like yeah. I see that you you movie maker guys know what a story how a story is supposed to be structured and you're just sticking the pieces into that and then being like like sleight of handing it away it's 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 very funny yeah um yeah it's very it's it's obvious what's happening but i i i I give it credit for pulling it off right yeah yeah sure gotta Um, do what you gotta do right yeah and they so they and then they go so they do they do go to godric's hollow um, no more polyjuice again. In Mm-mm. fact, Harry even says, no, if I'm coming back home, I don't want to be somebody else. God, um, it sure, it sure makes me realize how eye-rolly I am when I read those. And the text has to spend so much time explaining what's happening with the polyjuice, and it's for no fucking reason. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, I, I think that's a, I think that's a, you know, it's a, it's kind of an on the nose line, but I think it's a good reason to not be in Polyjuice. Yes, perfect. Great. Thank you, Harry yeah. Potter. The graveyard scene is 
this is a change that I was a little interested in because I like the graveyard scene in the book for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Um, I think I think that the way that in in the book Hermione and Harry's tensions are kind of at an all time high in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Hermione just like doesn't get what's going on with him and like how important this is to him. And he's kind of being an asshole. Like, like it, it, it's it's a good dynamic they have there. I will say though, re kind of doing it with them being much closer is also very cute. I think that there's a, some good stuff going on here. Yep, I think this is just a more fun version. I think they just decided to go with making us like the characters and all. <laughs> I'll give yeah. them a thumbs up for that. <laughs> the CGI wreath is very bad. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, but uh, but. You know, point, points for making the actual character stuff good. There's a cute moment where Hermione puts her head on Harry's shoulder. Just like some good, just some good little wordless acting moments where I'm like, aw, this is, I like these characters. Who would have thunk? Yeah, and, and like the ways the clues are presented in a movie, it just works a lot better that you just see the symbol a few times. And then, of course, yeah. it feels like, yeah, when they say, yeah, I need to find out about the symbol. As a movie watcher, you're like, yeah, because the camera brought attention to it twice now. Uh-huh. Yeah. That works way better here. What did you think of the um Bethilda stuff? Um It's a kids movie, you know? Yeah. It can't be that's that kinda, scary. It could have been scarier. You know? That's kind of my whole thing with it. Yeah. I I feel like that's like it's sort of like I had to take it's I guess this is my thing is like the book I think it's been pretty bad. Yeah. Except for that chapter where I'm like, this is the chapter for me. And yeah. this movie yeah. kind of reversed everything where I'm like, everything else is a lot better, but this scene isn't for me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, they couldn't make totally. it that scary. Kids are going to come see this movie. Um, yeah. I, I thought yeah. it was okay. There's a good, there's a couple of good jump scares. Um, I like the fake out one where like, there's a good moment where they think they've killed Nagini um, and their wands are like on the banister or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's shot in such a way where it's like you know that the snake is going to come popping back up as soon as they reach for their wands. But excuse me, they sort of um, uh, do it do it a little backwards where they reach for the wands just fine, and then the snake comes at them like a second after. Yeah, I thought that was that was just a, a good effective jump scare. Um, but yeah, overall, I think mainly just like the, I think for the actress who plays Bathilda is very good. Mm-hmm. Like she's very spooky. Yeah. But there is, I mean, there's no way you can do it in a kid's movie, really. But like, I was so looking forward to like seeing like the old lady body fall apart and the snake come out and it's more like CG. Like she just I wanted that to be a jump scare. And that, mm. and I know you can't do that. I and I know not everyone likes jump scares, but I wanted that to be like the horrific, yeah. horrible surprise. You know our favorite TV show, The Order. Mm. Mm-hmm. I could, I would have loved some good practical effects. Ooh, yeah. Um, that Just... one, that one scene where it's like the werewolf and they cut the like fake skin to let the like faux fur come out. That's like a really, yeah. it's like really obviously a practical effect, but looks great. Um, yeah, I, 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 for the most part, I think the CG looks okay in this movie. Um, but this, I think for horror, that's where I want to see practical effects. The like yeah, CG it, just it turning into visceral. dust. I'm like, I don't care about this. Yeah. The, there's one 
shot that I think is brilliant in this, mm. which is the close-up of Bathilda's mouth. Yeah. Where her jaw opens slightly too much, yeah. and you can, like, see Nagini's head in her mouth. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That's fucking sick. Yeah. That was really cool. Um, but, yeah, the rest of it is a little... Just not not as effective as it could have been. Yeah, um, and it sort of goes for like a hybrid action horror thing, and I wish that it had just gone a little harder to the like um, spooky horror vibes. Uh, yeah, but but I can understand why they wouldn't, because I think that that could be scary for a lot of kids that should probably be able to go and see the new Harry Potter movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the weird thing though, because I'm like this. This is not a kids movie, right? It's like, that there are multiple gunfights, right? And it's like, yeah, that, I don't. There's a part that yeah. would bother me. Versus, like, I think horror that's made for kids is often really fun, right? Because it's I really think, good sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Luigi's Mansion effect, right? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Watership Down, yeah, or something, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of great uh, uh, Brave Little Toaster. There's a lot of like good kids horror movies. I mm-hmm. think. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is not the best it could have been. It's, it's not awful by any means, but I was like, I was definitely expecting like a little more here. Mm-hmm. I wanted the lead up to be, um, the, so they kind of do it simultaneously where Hermione notices that there's something wrong. She like walks into, cause Harry goes upstairs with her and we see Hermione kind of simultaneously, um, like seeing the flies and stuff. And I feel like the timing is a little off. Like I wanted Hermione to see that stuff before Harry gets attacked, not at the same During. time. Yeah. I was a little confused by that as well. Yeah. Cause the, the implication, cause, cause it has like the buzzing fly sound effect Uh huh. and you see the flies and there's like blood smeared on the walls. Right. Right. But you don't actually see like a body or anything. Yeah. But I was confused, was it like, was the implication that the real Bethilda's body was in the closet, and that's what Hermione saw, and then the snake was just like, po- snake polyjuiced or something? Maybe. I, I was a little unclear on like what the actual mechanics of that were, and I wonder if there was a shot that we missed because they needed to make it a kid's movie, right? I wonder. Actually, like, I like that. I, I can understand why they couldn't have a a body horror snake puppeteering a dead body scene, but I like that mm-hmm. change. Like, if they had had Hermione discover, like, a dead body. The real body, yeah. And then had the old lady turn into the snake. That could have been yeah. a good change, but I wonder if they couldn't get in under the rating or something. That yeah, it's just because it, it's it's very intense. She finds the, the she finds like a closet with flies buzzing. There's blood smeared all over the wall, but like you don't actually see whatever it is she sees in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, so I'm not 100 percent sure what they implicate because it's like if it's just meant to her, it's like oh, there's a lot of blood in here. I bet this. I bet the lady is being puppeteered. That's kind of weird because like why would the flies be in there? Right. Um. It, it, it's a little confusing. I'd, I'd be curious to know if that was maybe cut for the for the rating. Um. And then alas, a big tragic cut here. No Voldemort. No Voldemort. No Voldemort. He doesn't run up the stairs. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't teleport in. Going yes, time to kill Harry Potter. That's kind of a bummer. That is. Probably difficult to do in a film. Yeah. But 
but we don't get that and we don't get his first person memory of uh uh thinking about murdering children on halloween yeah i was thinking about that because on the one hand i think that scene could be really funny especially with like voldemort seeing a bunch of kids in costumes and also being in you know voldemort clothes or whatever um (laughs) but on the other hand i think it would have made it for like sort of a boring movie scene because it's like from a movie goer perspective we've already seen voldemort kill harry's parents so it's sort of a do-over yeah um, I think this is a good spot to take a break because we have the third act to get into after this. Sounds um, good. Sounds like some good acting coming up. Some good acting is coming up and we need to take a break to prepare to discuss it. <laughs> uh-huh. Hello, welcome back. We are approaching the runtime of the movie. Well, actually, no, we've still got a ways to go. You sound fatigued. Uh, I, I kind of had a little cough, um, and I, I have not dislodged whatever it is in my, was there in my throat. Um, hmm. So, so hopefully. That happened to me last week. Yeah. So I don't know if you had to do some creative editing. Oh, yeah, I, I, was, able, I was able to get around that. I had a little bit of a... A gruff voice yeah, as well. A, fr- a frog in your throat, and that's me. <laughs> that's me today. I, uh, uh-huh. I'm certainly not mentally fatigued, but uh, but but I've definitely got like a. There's something going on in there that's that's making it a little make me a little oh gravelly today. Mm-hmm. But it's time to uh, uh, energize a little bit for the final stretch of this film. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, because we have got uh, a little bit of um, pivot in this film where I, I feel like it, it kind of goes off the rails a little bit after a pretty good middle section. It's, t- it's time to get horny. It's time to get, yeah, it's time to get weirdly horny for the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first off, off the bat, amazing change in this film is uh, when Harry discovers that Hermione b- busted his wand, he's not a dick about it. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because it's Dan Radcliffe. It's Dan Radcliffe as Harry Potter. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to uh, Steve Clovis for recognizing what an insane part of the book that was. He's upset, but he's like more resigned than like angry um yeah because she like she starts kind of like trying to like excuse it and he's just like whatever like it's done like like what's done is done there there is sort of a sense in this movie that i think that the book completely missed and it's and we talked about it because i i know i brought it up like three or four times in the reading where i'm like i wish i miss the kids doing scheming together yeah and, like, talking about like the clues and trying to fit them together and like, what are they going to do next? And their theories and all, and all this stuff. And the book just did away with that to try to establish like this atmosphere of despair, mm-hmm. except it makes me despair because <laughs> it's not fun yeah. and it sucks. Um, the movie did a good job. I think, especially in this moment where Harry's like sort of resigned is that it's obvious they're like going through it, yeah. but they really feel like they're going through it together and there might be frustrations or annoyances or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's like, like, yeah, Harry's upset, but also like he's sort of resigned and it's like, give me your wand. I'll do look out. They don't feel like enemies. No, it's, it's, he, 
this this scene feels like the truth of the lie that Harry tells uh where he says it's fine he's just upset about mm-hmm. losing his wand right like like th- right. this feels like they just took that lie and made it the truth for the film he's he's frustrated he's upset but like he clearly understands that it's like not Hermione's fault right in this in this mm-hmm. bit he's just he, yeah he just needs a little time to himself here um which is, I think it just just a across the board good change. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the change is stopped there as it is time for a sexy deer to approach and <laughs> lead him to the sword of Gryffindor, um, so he can uh, retrieve it and meet back up with Ron and then destroy the Horcrux. Um, yeah. We'll say, speaking of mood, I think that the overall, like, visual mood of this scene is pretty good. There's a lot of good just- Why do just... the Patronuses look so bad in this movie? Sorry? Why do the Patronuses look so bad in this movie? Yeah, the, yeah, they're- it looks like- they just sort of look like holograms, whereas they were really bright and like kind of like blinding in the Prisoner of Azkaban movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of kind of a weird choice. That they they do not look great, but it's a nice location. He's walking through the forest. He comes across this lake. Just some just some really nice visual set pieces here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something you noted that I I I think is really great of of Harry sort of reflexively trying Accio a lot in this movie. Yeah. Um, which is great. Great change. Yeah, yeah. Because in the book, they have to have a conversation about it every time. Every time. They have to remember that it exists. <laughs> Rather than, like, in the wizarding world, like, it would be a matter of course for wizards. Always, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, that would be the first thing you think of. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes total sense to just have that be your go-to. So I, I appreciate him seeing the sword and just, like, reflexively just being like, oh, Accio sword. And it doesn't, doesn't work. Oops, that doesn't work. Um... He, we, we get the scene of him uh, getting into the pool. He grabs the sword. I guess the movie interpretation is that, yes, the Horcrux literally tries to strangle him. Um, and Makes some scary sounds. It screeches at him a little bit. Um, and then Ron's here. Uh, yep. Ron is back and he is, uh, he has brought the Horcrux or he's brought the, uh, the, the sword out of the lake while Harry was being choked. He has pulled Harry up. Um, cute moment where uh, they sort of like one up the book version of the scene where um, uh, Ron is like, oh, I thought you sent the, the that was your Patronus. And Harry's like, no, mine, mine is a stag. And he goes, oh, right. And Rupert like puts his hands up to his head and kind of gives himself bunny ears and goes, antlers, got it. <laughs> like, which is, I thought that was- It reminded me a lot of um, Dan's scene um, in Half Blood Prince, where he does the pincers oh, on his face for Aragog. Yes, yeah, yeah. Very. It was a cute moment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but then they have to destroy the Horcrux. Yes, and th- I think this <laughs> might be like the turning point for the movie, perhaps. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's definitely some good stuff beyond this, but I think this is like just like the, <laughs> the first sign of like uh oh after it kind of was uh, kind of improving a lot in this middle stretch. Um, the Horcrux, it can't just be a cool eye inside of a locket. It there is a flash of the eye. Yeah, it's cool. You see it for a it second. It is cool. Yeah. Um, but it can't just be that. It has to turn into a huge tech demo 
fucking graphics card uh, demo particle effect <laughs> thing. There's an entire NVIDIA tech demo in that locket. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not as impressive as the one in Fantastic Beasts, but hey, it's a few years earlier, so, you know, uh-huh. couldn't yeah. couldn't have as many particles. But it, it, it's this huge fucking swirling garbage monster. <laughs> um, and then the sexy nude Harry and Hermione walk out. <laughs> and this is just... It looks so bad. Ooh. So you know how we were talking about how Dobby looked really soft and weird? Yeah. They did a similar effect to to Dan and Emma here um, that makes them look very weird and not in like a cool damn that looks weird way and just a, like is my TV working kind of way. Um, it looks like it looks like the same filter that people use for fan cams. Mm-hmm. It was just missing the sparkles. Right. Yeah. It just needed some sparkles on everything, uh, and it would it would look like a fan cam. Um, they they're both nude and they do a big sexy kiss it's very uncomfortable <laughs> um and then ron ron finally destroys the the horcrux with the sword um but yeah this this just this big spectacle of the horcrux is um is is it feels like a turning point i think it it's really um it's frustrating that the horcrux is right you know mm-hmm. like i and it's at this point where we are in the story as as viewers to us i think that we do only have reason to think that harry and hermione would be good together yeah we we um, just watched like a 20 minute sequence of them being perfect for each other right and so it feels really weird that this is like an evil vision when it seems kind of right <laughs> i guess yeah and like the movie's given us really no reason to think that Ron and Hermione are good together. Um, I guess there is, like, we see them napping at Grimmauld Place or sleeping or whatever, and their hands are next to each other. But other than that, everything we've seen is them, like, causing each other pain and fighting. Yeah. Which is obviously similar to the books. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, like, true to the events in the books. Um, but the movie's invented way more scenes for Harry and Hermione to like enjoy each other's company, yeah, and have a reason to to be together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so it just kind of it feels odd. Yeah, it's 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 not well handled. I will say there is one sort of saving grace to this, which is mm. that I think that the um, the dudes rock sequence that follows this, yeah, is too good for the source material right yeah like, it, is. it is like like the the way that they have sort of de-escalated the hermione and ron conflict a little bit um like it's still there but it's it's not as over the top as it was or as nasty as it was in the book um mm-hmm. and they they have some fun with his stupid story about the deluminator <laughs> and it's kind of an awkward moment because the thing is of course the story is true as far as we know and so it's still stupid, but they do the they do the most with it. Where he he's very dorky. Harry is like very happy to present Ron like, "Hey, guess who's back?" And Ron uh, tells his tale about how oh he was asleep one night all all alone in a pub, and then then he heard a voice from the Deluminator, and it took me back to you. And it's like the, even the music is like swelling in a very like like clearly it f- it felt very sarcastic kind of uh way mm-hmm. um and uh Hermione just sort of rolls her eyes and goes back in the tent and there's this moment afterwards where 
uh, Ron and Harry are sort of like convening after the fact and ron's like how long do you think she's gonna be mad at me and harry's like oh just keep telling her that fucking bullshit story about the light and i'm sure she'll come around and uh, that line is incredible it's great i feel so validated yeah yeah he's he, he's what, what does he say he's just like oh just keep telling her just keep telling her about the light and i'm sure it'll keep i'm sure it'll work eventually or something oh it's so funny um it's very cute it's it's a good moment of like like i said just like a little de-escalation of the very nasty conflict in the book um but also a fun moment for harry and ron to feel like actual friends right like it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's cute that they're kind of bullshitting each other in this part um and the the way that ron jumps to hermione's side to vote for going to see xenophilius here is also just like just a cute acting moment for rupert i think mm-hmm. um, yeah um, i wish he had more to do yeah whenever he does get something to do he's great mm-hmm but now it's time for us to meet Xenophilius Lovegood. Um, good, good uh, Lucius is here. It's good, good hippie Lucius. Hippie Lucius is here um, to tell us all about the Deathly Hallows uh, in the last third of the movie titled The Deathly Hallows. That's the Hallows. name of the movie. <laughs> um, this is mainly a vehicle for the infamous puppet scene. Uh, puppet show time. Yeah. Uh, puppet show. What What did you think of that? This is the other famous um, scene from this film. Honestly, better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. I think I have a strong, this isn't for me vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like kind of cool, I guess. I... I personally find it subjectively unappealing. Yeah. It, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the, that, that art style really. Um, In general, it looks like the Clone Wars cartoon and I love the Clone Wars cartoon, but like, it just looks, everyone's head looks really fucking weird. Um, (laughs) But I think to me, the part that I was really struck by that I earnestly didn't remember is i thought that it was a real puppet stop motion thing in my memory but it is not it is a it is fully cgi um which isn't a bad thing but it is also full of my least favorite cgi thing which is uh camera work that just ignores like reality right um Mm, mm -hmm. I, i i dislike uh one one shot camera work where it's like well but it was a cg thing so who cares that it was one shot right and there's a lot of like one shot transitions in this that are like well that would be impressive if it was real but because it's a cartoon you can do whatever you want so i'm i'm just i feel like there's no sense of physicality here um Mm -hmm. uh but the it kind of comes out of nowhere and also leaves kind of out of nowhere it was a lot shorter (laughs) than i remembered i think Mm -hmm. too just just all in all just an odd addition to the, like i didn't hate it i didn't dislike it but i was just kind of left wondering like why was this here i felt like the delivery of the story was kind of cool mm-hmm. i feel like it was more effective than it is in the book mm-hmm. yeah but again it's just like basic kids morality tale told in a spooky way yeah you know yeah yeah i feel like it could have been in the first third of the movie i mean obviously you can't make that change and it would be huge but I don't know. I, I'm trying to remain fair. You yeah, know? not yeah. for me, but I think it's probably fine. And I know a lot of people really like it. So it's it's kind of like the iconic Harry Potter thing for a lot of people. 
Yeah, um, I think a lot of people like watched it and were pretty blown away and like, wow, that's super cool. Yeah. So I so I don't want to like I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, you know. I think I think that's a good perspective to have. I think I I looking at it from a distance, I think that it is bold to do right, like like just sticking a a puppet sequence in a Harry Potter movie, mm-hmm. um, like just just on paper, like oh that's an interesting bold idea that that uh, it, it's cool that they got away with doing something that outlandish. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I just yeah I, I I don't know if I like. I, 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 it's it's a not for me thing i think perhaps mm-hmm. um uh there is a line in this sequence that feels very of its time that i'm i'm full conspiracy brain about <laughs> yeah which is when hermione starts reading the story and uh she says uh three brothers were walking uh home at twilight and then Ron says midnight, and he said we kind of get the routine from the book about him hearing it another way. But there's this bit where they kind of all look at him, and he says, "No, nope, you know what? Twilight's good, better even." <laughs> and I feel like that was not a mistake. That had to have been an intentional joke, right? Like, I I, I feel like I feel like that had to be a reference for the audience. I, I, I think it could go either way, but I think it's definitely possible. I feel like I just, I can't remember myself. I just, I was wondering, I was like, can I remember, were there any laughs in the theater at that line or something? <laughs> but it just, it just feels like such a gimme for the audience at the time. Uh-huh. Um, especially considering, uh, looking at our 2010 movies list, Eclipse came out that year. So, so they were directly competing. Gosh, um, I, you know, I've read all the Twilight books except for the last half of Breaking Dawn. I have no recollection of what happens in Eclipse. <laughs> I didn't see the movies either. Is so. Eclipse the second one? The third one? No, it's the third one. Okay. Yeah. It was, it's Twilight, Breaking Dawn, Eclipse. Oh, no. Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, Breaking Dawn? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so that, that was kind of a funny line, either intentionally or unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the change that they make to Good Lucius is good. Yes. Um, he uh, like we, he still betrays them, but it's a much more like in the moment thing. Uh huh. Um, because he says Voldemort to trigger the taboo, uh, and and it seems like it's something he just sort of like decided in. He was like he was like thinking about the whole time and then decided to act on at the very end. Um, it just makes him seem more conflicted. Um, he's uh, he's he does some he does a little bit of acting. Um, yep. It's uh, it's cute. I think it's well done. Yeah, I think it um, gives his decision more agency, but also makes him more sympathetic, like simultaneously, yeah. Yeah. which is kind of amazing. Yeah, it's more sympathetic. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Harry and Ron and Hermione teleport away. Ron's really pissed at that, and then. Very, um, very Christ-like. Harry is just like, oh, it's not so bad. Like he was, he felt, he felt coerced or whatever. Like he, he's just very. Harry's very forgiving in this film. Um, yes. In a, in a, I, I think in, in a way that feels true to his character. Sure. Um, but he, yeah, just a very funny line. Um, and if if it wasn't the Horcrux scene, this is the part where the film truly goes off the rails, which is when <laughs> Ron turns around. And then four snatchers <laughs> just stand up from the bottom of the frame. 
Um, this this moment <laughs> this moment feels um historic because I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like watching this scene was um like a clip on YouTube was what made us make this podcast. This is this is some ancient podcast lore. Yes, uh, uh-huh. it was specifically i don't think it was a clip on youtube i think it's even sillier than that i think it's that we found the wiki the harry potter wiki entry for Uh snatcher number two (laughs) and then we found an amv of the snatcher scenes where they one of those amvs where they like pipe in the dialogue sometimes yeah and there was just an incredibly compressed clip of the guy yelling snatch them and that's some that's that is some early early podcast lore yeah we were just talking shit and uh and we got snatch them and and here we are (laughs) we were just we were just bitching about harry potter (laughs) and then and then here we are today uh recording an episode finally about this scene where that came from Snatch him. Why are the Snatchers... First of all, um, uh, uh, Fenrir is there. Uh, yeah. Doesn't get any speaking lines. Just there nope. to look goofy. Uh-huh. Why are the Snatchers the kings of Leon? I don't know. <laughs> One of them is like a... Fa- Do, here's my theory. I was thinking about this. Because the main Snatcher, Scabior... Scape? Scabior? Yeah, whatever. Um, he is dressed very flamboyantly. He's got a lot of makeup on and he sort of like he sashays a little bit and he he's got a he's got a little bit of a like uh, uh he he's got a little bit of like a pirate affectation to him. Yeah, it's it's probably lucky that this movie came out when I was 20 and not when I was 14 cuz I <laughs> might have had a scabior. I might be a scabior stan now. <laughs> Was this do you think a role that was originally intended for Johnny Depp? Yes. Yes. I didn't consider that, but as you started that sentence, I knew who you were going to say immediately. Yes. Yeah. Because, because there's some lore with JK Rowling and Johnny Depp. She wanted him to play serious, uh-huh. but he was unavailable. Right. Um, And we know that from uh, Crimes of Grindelwald and, and the lead up to that is that she she always felt like that that was just like a like a, a crown jewel. Like, yes, I finally get to work with my favorite actor, Johnny Depp. I feel like this is such a gift wrapped like role for him. <laughs> yeah. That he probably had to turn down because of some other obligations or whatever. Uh, it's really striking how 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 Deppish this character is. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and with the perfume scene, too. Yes, yep, yeah. She, oh, no. She just kept writing stupider and stupider roles for Johnny Depp that he kept <laughs> turning down. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it really feels like a, 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 a like, Jack Sparrow impersonator um, for most of this, uh, mm-hmm. most of this character's arc on screen. Um, we then get an absolutely awful chase sequence uh that is uh shot like a born movie um but they missed the cool parts of the born movies i feel where like uh the choreography is still good even though it's hard to see and like uh it has a reason to look like a handy cam you know mm-hmm. right Whereas here it's just like a bunch of dudes in the woods and it's like uh there's specifically this effect that is so jarring 
which is the like leaving in the sound of the wind whipping past the microphone as they're running uh-huh. that is like it sounds like a bad YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. Uh it, it is crazy. It is they just left in the 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 mic sounds and it's like that's a that's a bad sound to have unless you are purposefully making a like documentary style film or something and you want to have those rough edges it's weird to to watching to be watching a cinematic film and hearing that shit like i i I just just absolutely blew me away that that was left in there Mm -hmm. um the wands are more guns here than they've ever been um yep uh, to the point where they are just, like, blowing, like, squibs off of the trees and stuff around the people as they're getting chased. Hermione throws a frag at one point and blows mm-hmm. two guys up. It's insane. Um, I, I hate to be nitpicky, but I'm just like, when she does that, I'm like, do that more. Yeah. They don't why... have mana. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just just keep on u- using that one. It's going to work. Keep blasting, Hermione. Yeah. You have a, you, if you have the grenade spell, just go for it, I guess. Um, but they get captured, they get dragged mm-hmm. all the way to Malfoy Manor, and here is where, here is where the, uh, the climactic showdown begins. Um, I'm talking, of course, uh, the, the, about the showdown between the two greatest actresses of their time, uh-huh. uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Emma Watson. Which is <laughs> truly dreadful. So... They get taken to Malfoy Manor. We get a very, very accelerated version of, like, the discussion in the book. Harry is still... He got donked in the face. I'm surprised they didn't just cut that out, because there's none of that bullshit, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, there, but really fast. So, like, who are you, Vernon Dudley? We're taking you in. Yeah. It, there's no, like, quibbling about it. It just kind of happens. And I'm sort of like, why did they have to make his face look? that yeah yeah there's there i guess they still do the bit with like draco where draco is being unhelpful um with lucius um and and narcissa uh but it all it all falls apart when bellatrix shows up sees that scabior has the sword she turns her wand into a whip um and grabs the sword and i guess kills those guys i'm obsessed with the wand turning into a whip spell very stupid. Um, I I know exactly why they did it. Please tell me. Well, you see, someone on the production team was like, wouldn't it be hot if Bellatrix had a big whip? No. <laughs> and the answer is no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. <laughs> it looks really stupid. It looks really because stupid. Because they didn't actually just grab a... They didn't, like, put in a whip. They just it's made CG. the wand... They, like, used the smudge tool to... <laughs> To make the wand look like a whip. It looks so stupid. Ah, <laughs> uh, and then um, Harry, it, it, it is honestly cartoonish how fast this escalates. Because she <laughs> she kind of like, she kicks everyone's ass. She, um, she kind of kicks Narcissa and Lucius out. And she has Wormtail, who, by the way, comes bounding up the stairs <laughs> like a dog in an incredible <laughs> shot um he has no speaking lines from what i remember no. he just like she just says one tail and he like jumps up the stairs uh in this like goofy he's like making a dinosaur hands thing it's very funny uh-huh. um and he drags everyone down to the cellars so uh bellatrix and hermione can have a chat and i quote girl to girl is what she says 
just yeah. awful. Um, uh, and now is where we get the absolutely incredible, sublime acting from both of them. I see why people want more, because it. I, I thought it was going to be longer than it was, but it's like five seconds. It's really short. Really, really short, but I hear there's some secret deleted footage because the rating would have been too high. Because it would have been rated R. It like, is really uncomfortable. It, I, I'm of on like I'm of like complete split minds on this. Okay. Because so there's the shot in particular where like Bellatrix is like sitting on her. And Hermione is, like, doing some just, like, actual screaming. Like, not movie yeah. screaming, but she's doing, like, actual, like, real person that's, screaming. That's the good acting. Uh-huh. That's the good acting. And, like, that is definitely very uncomfortable. I don't think it's uncomfortable in a way that the movie really needs to be uncomfortable. It's just not the way Harry Potter is acted. No. No. At any at any point. Right. Um, but we've th- seen characters in pain. We've seen we've seen Harry get crucioed and he goes, Arrgh! Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's... that's like the level we're operating on in Harry Potter. Yeah, I think. We, we don't need like actual pain on screen, really. Um, but the on the opposite end of that, uh-huh. there's there's this bit where during that very intense torture sequence, um, we see obscured. Uh, Bellatrix do something with the knife um, Uh on her arm. And you're like, oh, damn, I bet that that's really fucked up, whatever happened there. Mm -hmm. And then when we come back to it later, it just kind of looks like Bellatrix gave her a stick and poke tattoo. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? It's really, like, the the amount of drama that is happening (laughs) in the actual torture sequence versus what we see as the consequences. It's like, it really looks like they both got drunk and was like, I want you to give me a tattoo. Give me a, (laughs) write a fucking tattoo on my arm, please. It's so funny. Um... It is, just, it is quite the mismatch, because not only is, is Emma Watson screaming real person, screaming pain, Bellatrix is like two inches from her face doing the same thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's intense. Horrible. It's, it's in- horrible. It's intense, but it's- It doesn't belong in this movie. Doesn't belong in this movie, but then like just the way, like you, you see her grab this huge fuck off dagger, right? Yeah. <laughs> And she like starts like like making really dramatic motions with her arm, and you're like, oh fuck, she's really messing up with Hermione's arm. And then just to have it, and like it really, I think it really mostly just serves to highlight how how not in the movie that level of drama belonged, because you see you see the result. And it's like, oh, she like it looks like she wrote that with like a pen. It's very precise. It's not like it's like two inches tall. It's like a perfectly reasonable <laughs> small small tattoo. Um, size wise. Um, also, we have seen worse arm gore in this in movie. This movie. It was when Ron got split. Yeah, I forgot like, about that. He was that. like, he, yeah, we, it was just like kind of a nothing scene, but he was like cut up like meat. He looked like there, you can, it was gross. Like huge gouges, right? Yeah. And it doesn't like, it doesn't like bring a tight shot in on that. So it's sort of like not too bad. But it's like you can tell that it's it's real gross, yeah, right? Yeah. So this is just really kind of nothing. <laughs> yeah, I like we've been we've been reading 
and talking about Higurashi on on the on the bonus episodes. Yeah. And there's there's like there's a description from that that has just like really stuck with me and chilled me since I read it, which is like the description of like stabbing someone's arm and hitting the bone, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a real gnarly part of that mm-hmm. of that uh novel. Um, and like that was when when uh, when I saw the Bellatrix arm thing, I was like, "Oh fuck, she's really going to town on Hermione's arm. That's bad." And then you just to to cut to it and just have it be this like perfectly <laughs> handwritten like like stick and poke paperclip tattoo is really just really anticlimactic. Yeah, and it's you can tell how impactful they thought this was. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, yeah. I mean it's like the idea is messed up right like yeah in cutting a slur onto someone's arm yeah yeah they were very but proud a, of this scene it's, but i'm just i don't know it's really goofy that's the thing about it is it's like they're very proud of it and like in abstract it is it, it, it's it's a weird mismatch where it's like in abstract the thing that is happening is super horrible yeah um but they not only acted out in a way that ends up making it less effective by making it too realistic, if that makes sense. Like, it just doesn't fit in the movie. Um, they're also proud of it in a really corny way that makes it very, feel very self-important. Because, um, I mean, there's that the now-deleted, by the way, interview with David Yates where he was talking about this scene, right? That we read many episodes yeah. ago. Um like they were just so thrilled to have this like hey we've got some real fucked up female pain in this movie are you ready <laughs> um and it just does it doesn't serve anything doesn't go anywhere and also like doesn't even deliver on what it's on like what it's promising in the end anyway so it's just kind of a failure on all fronts to make this scary yeah yeah um, Especially when it is intercut with Dobby appearing, um, magicking some unnecessary characters away, and then coming back to fucking obliterate Wormtail. <laughs> this is the greatest. This is the greatest moment. This is so cool. I'm because so Dobby <laughs> appears in the cellar and he takes Luna and Ollivander away, and he says, "Meet me at the top of the stairs in ten seconds." And then 10 seconds later, Wormtail comes bounding down the stairs and he's going to, like, attack Ron and Harry. But then he just gets shot in the back of the head <laughs> and falls over. And I guess he's just fucking dead. Yeah. Um, and Dobby even has a one-liner. Yeah. So, so Wormtail just gets fucking owned. Just just un, un, unbelievably destroyed in this scene gets just shot in the back of the head falls over and he just kind of makes this like er, sound <laughs> and then dobby doesn't even blink and he just calls from the top of the stairs who gets the wand <laughs> dobby fucking rules dobby just blew that guy away and was just like all right who wants his gun formtail didn't even get his like irony death he just got executed <laughs> by dobby <laughs> They couldn't even give him that. He didn't even say any words. <laughs> he just, he, he, all he does in this movie is like bound up some stairs and then bound down some stairs and get shot in the back. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, like just really, really disrespected 
here. Uh, <laughs> powerful. I love Do- Dobby just third partying him and being like, all right, who wants his gear? Just like, really? <laughs> really powerful mo- moment from, from our favorite little elf here. I, I love that nobody else reacts either. No, no one cares. That guy just died. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they, they, of course, escape, um, there's a big fight, and Dobby seems to be missing until he appears and he is unscrewing the chandelier, deus ex style, uh, uh, to drop on Bellatrix's head. Yeah. Dobby's so fucking cool. Yeah, he is. What, what do you think of, like, just, like, the Dobby action sequence? Like, like, it's really- it's really a lot, huh? Uh-huh. It's <laughs> I uh, there's there's no way to justify this. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. It's absurd, but I I can't imagine being a movie only watcher. I know that Dobby appeared for like 30 seconds earlier, but here he is. There's a tiny little part where Harry talks in the mirror and says, "Please help us," but otherwise Dobby just appears for no reason. Yeah, Dobby just, yeah, it's really blink and you miss it with the mirror in this one. Yeah, and Dobby just immediately shows up to, like, start racking up a body count. Yeah, Dobby kills multiple people here. He, he I mean, he's going off. Good for him, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, he 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 kills Wormtail. Uh, and then I guess he climb. He's like, "Hold on, I kn- I I, re- I remember how to do this." And he just like crawls <laughs> up this wall and just <laughs> attempts to. He he even says Dobby did not aim to kill. Dobby uh, only intended to maim or seriously injure. Uh, which is a cute line. I thought that was funny, but just like, wow, what an escalation of his character. It's just. Genre changed, (laughs) but I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's I yeah I I I truly don't know where this came from, but like it kind of whips in a weird, very stupid way. I guess they had to have him do something if if it were all going to be sad that he died. Right, and like they and so it's like now when he dies, we have to be like, oh, that's so sad. He was really useful. He killed like two guys. Yeah, um, yeah, and is willing to do whatever it takes, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Dobby Dobby showed them that you got you can't be afraid to to just fucking blow some guys away. Right. If you have to. So good on Dobby. I mean, it's sort of funny cuz earlier in the movie, um a little bit of that like pacifism thing ha- like it happens a couple yeah. times where Ron, where Ron is like we just should fucking kill him and Harry's like no no. Right. That would be wrong. Yeah. Uh, but Dobby shows up and is is clearly with Ron on this. Yeah. Uh, and is ready ready to just start shooting. Dobby's catching bodies here. Um yeah. and and good on him, honestly. I I I see I I see the the I, I don't think that's the intended message of the, like, yeah, Dobby was right all along. You should just fucking blow these guys away. But it, it's it's easy to like fit that in there in a very funny way. I'm like, <laughs> hang on a second. The the only time that this this pacifism plot popped up is when Harry was like, No, no, we we won't kill the Death Eaters. Uh, and to just have Dobby show up to rescue them and just, like, mow some guys down, uh, kind of rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's so- I was not expecting it. I- I truly was not ready for Dobby to just- just obliterate <laughs> Wormtail. From behind, even. Like, not yeah. even- wasn't even a fair fight, just Dobby was just like, oh, no. there he is. Pew! 
just got it. It wasn't a fight. Yeah, it wasn't even a fight. Dobby the sniper. (laughs) Um, Alas, alas, no no good things can last because uh, they, they teleport away. And in slow motion, Bellatrix throws a CGI knife into them. And 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 gets him, gets him good. She looks really pleased with herself. Yeah, and this seems like kind of the worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, because they got the sword, and it's like, oh, well, at least I threw a knife at them. Yeah, I mean, she's crazy. She's crazy. She 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 just wants to get a kill. She's that. That's the thing is that Dobby has completely Dobby's carrying the other team. Right. She's like, I just at this point, I just want to get a kill. Right. Like, I mean, she gets the shutdown. Yeah, she, she gets the shutdown gold. She show, she killed their carry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, then we get the much different Dobby mm-hmm. death. Still very drawn out and sad. But uh, uh-huh. I, I will say this. I think it's more effective in the movie than the book. I think I think, I think that is not hard. That, yeah, that's true. Not difficult. You can't, but... We can't give that much credit for that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, any like. They easily just get points just for being visual and having a voice, right? Like <laughs> that's that's the easiest shit in the world. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I still think I think that Dobby appearing and kind of stumbling and like you don't quite see what's going on at first, and then I I thought that was well handled. I also I will give credit to them remembering the thing that J.K. Rowling forgot, which is that Hermione had Dittany in her bag. Yeah, which she uses to to save Ron earlier. But there's this great moment where Dobby, where Harry is holding Dobby, and he's like, "Get the Dittany out of your bag," and she's just like, "No, no, no. he's dead. He's dead, man." Like, <laughs> um, uh, that's. I thought that was a, a nice little lampshade that the that the book, for whatever reason, didn't feel the need to put in there. Um, um, Luna is there too, which I think kind of ruins it and. <laughs> there's there's a little bit of Hagrid's hot clusterfuck going on here yeah um very weird scene where she sits down next to harry two seconds after dobby has died and is like hey close his eyes like you should close his eyes back off luna yeah luna we're having a moment you don't even know who this is like (laughs) (laughs) very weird um and like i feel sad and abstract because i like dobby I, I think I've sabotaged the scene for myself only because we have laughed at that picture of Harry holding the Dobby <laughs> puppet so many times that I was just cracking up. But that's we, like not the movie's fault. <laughs> we we sell a that's shirt. That's our fault. We sell a I shirt know. with with the black metal version of it. It looks great. Check yeah. it out, everybody. That's my that's yeah. our one advertisement. Check out our shirt sometime. They're good. <laughs> yeah. So so I I don't think there was any chance of me able to sincerely engage with this yeah yeah and i think too even even at my most sincere being like yeah i think this is more effective than the book um the movie is still ending on a character's death that i think is ultimately meaningless um yeah he's it's not nobody cares about dobby except for us (laughs) the movie doesn't care about dobby right it's sad because he's cute Right? Yeah. And that's about it because he's not been a character. His story ended in movie two. The filmmakers recognized that he was not an essential <laughs> character. 
Uh, and and I guess I you know may, maybe behind the scenes J.K. Rowling kept on nudging them, being like, you know, I think you should probably. You remember that Dobby guy? Maybe maybe you should put some more Dobby in the movies, huh? But uh, but clearly did not get the message across to them that he would matter, or maybe she didn't know because I think she was lying about the books all being planned out. But uh, you know, just doing the best with what they had here, I suppose. This is this is maybe a bold claim, but I think that you and I have done more to build the mythology of Dobby than the books <laughs> or the movies have ever done. Probably. So really, probably doing more work for this scene um, than, than the text ever does. Yeah. It's just, yeah, Dobby is a character who was not in the movies for nearly a decade, then comes back <laughs> for the last movie to... Be in one scene for 30 seconds where he is, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but he is upstaged by Mundungus Fletcher talking about flogging his wares in the alley. <laughs> and then yeah. disappearing for the rest of the movie and then coming back to die. Like, mm-hmm. I love it. I love that he, I love that he just one taps Peter Pettigrew. I love that he drops a chandelier on Bellatrix, but it's just, it's not enough to make it an earnestly affecting death, I don't think. Right. And I, 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 in a way, it almost is just like a perfect, like, encapsulation of how I feel about this movie in general, where it's like, whenever it diverges from the source material into character work, it has a great time. And whenever it has to come back down to earth and, like, tell the story that is in these books, it, it is at its weakest. Mm-hmm. I do think it is more effective than the books, just purely from what it brings to the table of like being a movie right yeah, like i yeah. think that it gets to take shortcuts that the that a book doesn't mm-hmm. um like a movie can go through the motions of making a death look sad it's the same thing <laughs> with the plot where it can kind of go through the motions of making it sound like it might make sense <laughs> and you can't think about it yeah don't you dare think about it right but i don't know people are trained to watch movies in a different different yeah. way right like no, I, th- I think it makes sense yeah yeah also they buried dobby's body in like bill and fleur's backyard which... <laughs> that's the other part which is really funny I, mean, <laughs> I i i guess there's probably an assumed scene where they ask for permission to do that but like just <laughs> just the idea of them like coming into bill and fleur's house and being like hey by the way we there's a dead guy on your property now <laughs> <laughs> i just murdered too um i I just like i'm imagining like maybe harry just immediately was like i have to bury this body he's like got a shovel or whatever and he's digging um and then like bill and fleur like walk out to maybe have some like coffee on the porch and they're like hey what are you doing (laughs) did he go into their shed to get that shovel yeah maybe they they must have he doesn't have a shovel there's a very interesting line that i don't think gets the um the time it needs to really sit in the film but he says i want to bury him properly with no magic which is a very interesting ideological stance for him yeah doesn't he say like the proper way or something like yeah, that Yeah, the proper way no magic interesting um, which is yeah very interesting that that he feels that way about ma- magic versus a proper christian burial um in- <laughs> Interesting ideology coming. Is Dobby through. a Christian? Do you think? <laughs> I don't think so. No, because he just fucking killed those guys. No, not a second thought. Nothing. Oh yeah. Just you know the no thou shalt not kill for Dobby. He's just yeah. nope. I'm going to. I I will 
I see Peter Pettigrew, I will kill Peter Pettigrew. Uh, uh, Christians not... never kill people. <laughs> right. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that's a silly observation. <laughs> He's certainly not practicing, let's say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god so yeah so that's the movie that's how the fucking movie ends is this character who hasn't been around for eight years kills two guys and then gets killed himself and and then gets buried on so- in someone else's backyard like a dog <laughs> <laughs> oh, they yeah. tried uh-huh i think they did a pretty good job I think it's better than the last one. Um, you know, one thing that it really has over the last one hmm. movie doesn't look like that. Yeah. Movie I mean, it looks pretty nice. It looks very nice in spots. It does not have any fucking green bloom on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of no color. I mean, there is color grading. They made it look less colorful, but it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not tinted green. Um, right. It's not in soft focus half the time. It it looks a lot nicer, I think, um, uh, when it isn't in shaky cam hell. I, you know, we've been talking about this movie for two hours and 44 minutes now. That's right. Um, I, I kind of liked it, to be honest. Like, yeah. I, I, like, that was something that surprised me. I thought it was, like, a pretty fun adventure movie. Some of the time, and it had like kind of a cozy mood sometimes, and mm-hmm. the actors were charming. I'm probably not about to like watch it on purpose, right? For no reason. Um, but it was better than I thought. Yeah, I think it has a super strong middle in particular. Um, mm-hmm. and it does a lot of good stuff with some very bad material. I think this is overall, I think like next to Prisoner of Azkaban, this is pretty much the unanimous, like, this is the best one, mm-hmm. um, film for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I can see why. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I don't think it opens. I don't don't think that, like, the actual opening clothes are that fantastic. But, like, everything in between, I think, is is quite strong compared to a lot of the other films. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I think it is a great showcase for a lot of the actors. I think that Daniel Radcliffe is great in this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Emma Watson is really good. I think... uh, Rupert is uh, fantastic when he has lines to say, which is unfortunately not very often. Um, I thought Rupert's like descent into madness thing. Like, I don't think that that the story itself is very strong, but I think the way he acted it and like the drama that ensued from it was like pretty entertaining. I liked um, Ron and Harry like throwing hands before he Mm -hmm. stormed out. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty like. 70 out of 100 how about yeah i i I think i think it's it's biggest issues are issues from the book yeah um and i think the other thing is that it's it's other biggest weakness overall is the fact that it is half a movie (laughs) um and i think that like this is it, it is has a lot of good stuff in it but it doesn't quite work as its own film and it leaves me wondering like you know if they did this well with just this material right i feel like there is a like ample evidence here that if they had perhaps 
dug a little deeper, they could have made one film out of these, this book. Um, I think there's stuff that could have been cut from this movie. I think that it's fine if you want to. Like, it's the last movie in the franchise. Make a three-hour movie. That's fine. You know? Sure. Like, like, People are like, going to go see the Harry Potter movie, you know? Yeah, you can go big uh, with the final movie in the franchise. Return of the King won 11 Oscars or whatever, and it's like four hours long. You know, it's not unheard of to make a long movie. Um, and... I think that is, that is just its biggest weakness is having to end on this character's death, which is ultimately a little flat. But like overall, I'm positive on it. I think uh, just just purely because it does such a good job with the middle section and the, the, which is my least favorite shit from the book, um, but some of my favorite stuff in the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. Would you like a couple fun facts about the film before we leave? Yes, of course. Uh, so, David Yates directed this, of course. Yes. Um, uh, but there were some other potential directors for it. Mm. Uh, uh, Alfonso Cuaron nearly directed this. Please. Um, uh, which would have been cool. Uh, and also, this one is very interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, Guillermo del Toro directed. Uh, uh, expressed interest in directing this one huh which i think would have been cool yeah um i like his movies a lot uh there is a interesting wrinkle to this which is that he couldn't take the job because he was working on his version of the hobbit that got canceled <laughs> and became a three <laughs> three movie epic about one book huh <laughs> so kind of some interesting cross wires there yeah um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think overall, you know what? G good, good Harry Potter movie. I rank this one pretty highly. I think I'd go like Azkaban, this Sorcerer's Stone, maybe right now. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Although uh, I laughed all the way through Order of the Phoenix. So, so that might be up there for me as like a good, bad movie. Yeah. Order of the Phoenix was definitely entertaining just for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. I, I had a great time with that one. Yeah. Um, the other thing, this is less of a fact and more of just a thing I didn't realize until just now. Um, but while I was looking up uh, articles about the split um, the, into two movies... I did not realize that this image that I remember vividly being posted on Tumblr and LiveJournal and stuff all the time of Hogwarts on fire. Mm. It's so crunchy and, and gnarly looking that I always assumed it was a Photoshop. Sure. But it was a real poster that was made to advertise that the seventh movie was being split into two. Um, it says it all ends here and there's a flaming Hogwarts <laughs> and then HP seven part one, 2010 part two, 2011. Uh, and I was like, Oh, I did not realize that was real. I thought this was just a, a an angsty edit that got passed around a lot on. on That's really funny. Yeah. Is Hogwarts yeah. going to be on fire? I don't remember. Cause Hogwarts has like a halo bubble shield in the second. <laughs> right. Movie. Um, and so I wonder if this, I mean, this was, this image is from like 2008 or whatever, when they announced that it was going to be two movies. Mm -hmm. So, uh, maybe this was just before they remembered that there was a bubble shield. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do you think anyone's written like a, 
an AU Harry Potter fanfiction where like Master Chief goes to Hogwarts, but his Patronus is Cortana. Master Chief <laughs> at Hogwarts AU. I guess that's not a well, it's AU for Master Chief, normal AU for Harry Potter. Soldier, Chapter 1, a Halo plus Harry Potter crossover fanfic. Is that Harry going to Halo, though? Halo Harry <laughs> Halo sat World? very still inside his cupboard, doing his best not to jostle his broken arm. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Oh, this is a... Oh, this is like a, a story where the Dursleys are yeah. abusing him. But I'm then, like, yep. But Master Chief comes <laughs> to save him. Wonderful. That's wonderful. What else have we got here? Uh, Master Chief and the Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. I hope you all like it. It's been four years since uh, the events that <laughs> took place on the recent. Ark. Oh, four, four years e- ago. I, okay, I see. Four years ago, the Prophet of Truth had finally been killed, causing the destruction of the Covenant, which nearly wiped out humanity. A flood in the graveyard mind, which had nearly destroyed the galaxy. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Had been wiped out. Okay, where is yes. the Harry Potter stuff coming in here? Can you... Can you tell me when is he getting to Harry Potter world? Master Chief and Cortana are crash landing on Earth in Harry Potter times. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. So 1990? Uh, yes. November 27th, 1995, England, okay. Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Harry, you've got to stop messing with Umbridge, Hermione frowned as she tended to Harry's bleeding hand in the Gryffindor common room. Harry didn't say a word. She's right, mate. I know how pissed she can make you, but you're not going to make things any easier with the Daily Prophet and ministry against you and Dumbledore, Ron frowned from Harry's left side. Don't you think I know that? Harry frowned. We need to do something, Hermione frowned. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Frowned is not a word for said. Uh, uh, Okay. Like Ron frowned at Hermione? She smiled. If Umbridge refuses to teach us, we'll find someone who can, Hermione said as she looked at Harry, who blinked in surprise. Elsewhere... John, can you hear me? John, Cortana screamed as Master Chief blinked, then he kicked open the door of the ODST pod, sending it floating away. I'm here, Master Chief said as he pushed himself out of the pod. Thank God, I was afraid that I lost you, Cortana said softly. What happened? Did we collide with the black hole? Master Chief asked as he looked around. Oh, we made contact, all right. I can tell you that, Cortana said. Yeah, that's good. A little bit of a little bit of zingers from Cortana there. Yeah. I would just like to say this fanfic author is being their own hype man here and I'm here for it. Um, oh, I support this 100%. So so that was so I just finished like the end of that chapter. Yeah. And then in bold the author has written, "Wow, amazing, right? Let's see what happens next." <laughs> I I love that energy. That's some powerful powerful energy. Yeah. Okay, but hang on. So chapter 3, we still haven't had Master Chief meeting harry potter yet you kind of have to build up to that because it's really exciting yeah that's what the people want to see you can't give it to them too fast right Uh uh-huh arbiter is here too okay excellent i love the (laughs) arbiter hey it's me master chief is on a roll let's keep going yep master chief master chief master chief uh he he He's pointing a pistol at one of the centaurs right now. Oh, no. I just want to see him meet Harry Potter. The castle's name is Hogwarts, Cortana says. Sounds like a disease, Master Chief said. It's not a disease, John. I think that castle is the source of the signal I detected earlier, Cortana Mm. said. So should we take it out? No, I think there's much more to this castle. 
I have already have its coordinates. We should get inside, find out more about it. Maybe there's something inside we can use. Do you think that it's a Forerunner artifact? Master Chief asked. I don't think so. The structure design don't match anything on the ruins that we found on Halo on the Ark or anything from Dr. Halsey's research. I'm so excited. When is he going to meet Harry, though? <laughs> Will he meet Dobby? Cort- chapter 6. Okay. Chapter 6, infiltrating. Har- oh, okay. Chapter 7, first meeting. Finally. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Will he meet Snape? What is that? Cortana asked with surprise. Master Chief didn't have an answer. In front of him was what looked like a human, only it was floating several feet above the ground. It was pale and transparent. He was dressed in what appeared to be old robes. Hello, I am Sir Nicholas Dimensy Porpington. Welcome to Hogwarts, good sir. Who might you be? Sir Nicholas asked as he bowed. Should we talk to this thing? Can we trust it? Master Chief asked Cortana. Well, we don't really have much of a choice. I say let's talk to him. Do they not think he's a hologram? Apparently not. That would be my first thought if I was Master Chief. Yeah, because Cortana already kind of looks like a Harry Potter ghost. Right. Or a Patronus, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. The Great Hall. There he is, Harry Potter. John, don't do something (laughs) stupid. We have no idea what these kids can do, Cortana said. Affirmative, Master Chief said. Then he took a step forward, making several more people gasp. At this moment, Dumbledore, McGonagall, and Snape pushed their way through the students and stopped (laughs) cold when when they saw the Spartan. Greetings. Might I inquire who you are and how you came to be here? Dumbledore asked as he extended his arm. Master Chief's finger tightened on the trigger as he stepped forward. (laughs) Then Snape fired a disarming charm, causing the assault rifle to fall out of the Spartan's hand and fire the... Wow! (laughs) Snape Snape fucking took Master Chief's assault rifle? What the fuck? Hot damn. Oh, wow. Oh, but then of course, of course, Master Chief isn't going to stand for that. No. Master Chief instantly dropped down, tackled the professor, and pulled out his magnum, <laughs> causing the crowd of students to gasp as he put the gun to Snape's head. No! There's no need for violence. That was quite rude of you. I apologize for my professor's actions. Maybe continue this elsewhere, Dumbledore said calmly. Fine, Master Chief said as he let Snape go, causing the professor to crash to the ground. <laughs> um, I agree with this author that if Snape and Master Chief met, they would immediately fight. <laughs> <laughs> Good on Snape for just immediately taking Master Chief's assault rifle. So does that got... mean that Snape like recognized it as a weapon too? Oh yeah, you know? ooh, that's a good point. Well, yeah, Master, yeah, because Snape, you know, Snape, Snape. We don't know what he does over the summer. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe he knows a little bit more about the Muggle world than than he lets on. He's like, I know, I know a fucking assault rifle when I see one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Well, that was powerful, but we are nearing the three hour mark, and I think we should probably put this down for now. <laughs> for I'm now. Bookmarking. For I'm now, bookmarking we'll put that this. down. I'm bookmarking this. <laughs> oh, fuck. Our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon, <laughs> even though we're not using that this week because it's a movie episode. You can check them out at Bandcamp. And you can check us out at patreon.com slash streetcast. We've got lots and lots of fun content there for you. We've got other movie episodes talking about Taylor Lautner's abduction and other 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 fine cinematic achievements. And Liz, what are we gonna read next week? Oh, hell if I know. What are we doing? Uh it'll be, it'll be that it, whatever chapter comes after Dobby dying. Uh uh it's um uh well mm, you know well i've watching a movie it's like when you uh go to the theater and it's light out and then you leave and it's dark that's how i feel right now (laughs) and you're like oh right yeah oh 
book. That movie was long. Uh, We're reading chapter ne- 24. It's called The Wand Maker. The Wand Maker. That's right. Uh, we're going to learn all about wand lore from Mr. Ollivander. And instead, I'm going to wish that we were learning about Snape and Master Chief having a cool fight. Mm-hmm. But even with that said, please read another book. Please read another book. <laughs>